Cheers, y'all. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this fine little radio program known internationally as Smoking and Toasting. Smoking and Toasting. And it's uh, all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. Welcome to show number 152. We are live on uh, the Book of Faces, and uh, we'll be out, you know, obviously in all the the podcast sites and on YouTube once the show is complete. Uh, We are brought to you by B&B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston and in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth, and by BB Italia on Memorial in Houston and BB Lemon on Washington Ave. Where they you know, those places have great food, but I just bacon. Bacon. Have you ever yeah. been there? No, I haven't. Uh, okay, this uh, is a place you need to go. This is the place you really. need to go. Yeah. Yep. And just yep. get the bacon appetizer. Don't like their steaks are amazing. Everything they make is amazing. Can I get a steak with bacon wrapped around it? You, yes. you can. Oh, yes. absolutely. Yeah, you absolutely can. This okay. bacon, however, the bacon appetizer I'm talking about <laughs> is so thick that it probably won't actually wrap around. Yeah. It's it's the like, thickest bacon I've ever <laughs> so good. eaten, but it's but it's amazing. When when I the first time I got it, I was like, "Oh, man, I'm not going to like this. I like crispy bacon." <laughs> oh, no. Boy no. was I wrong. <laughs> Boy was I wrong. Well, welcome to the show. It's show number 152, and in the studio with us today, our special guest Michael Gallagher from Trinquero Spirits. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you very much it's for having me. Nice to have you on board, and sure. I have uh, um, oh, so Ian, I totally forgot to ask you this before we went on live. Someone had to ask in code now that thing do we want we don't want to talk about that no, thing we're not okay. going to talk about that, that thing. that's all good so um uh, other than that thing you had a pretty interesting week i take it i you know <laughs> i did i uh I, I actually so i got a funny story uh you know when you're out and about smoking a cigar yeah people always want to have conversations they they do you know you get people who are cigar centric and they come up and immediately start talking to you mm-hmm. and i love that so i was at uh this was months ago actually i was at the new potato which mm-hmm. is a bar just on the east side of downtown we've done the show live from there several right times. exactly yes. and uh my buddy paul owns the place and i was sitting outside smoking a cigar and having a beer and uh this gentleman comes up and starts talking to me about you know what cigar are you smoking and we just get into a conversation and it was really interesting because he was super excited he had a box of uh the uh rocky patel ray lewis cigars oh nice big nice. fan of those yeah and he told me all about it. this guy's name was seastone he's apparently a rapper and promoter here in houston area um and it's uh i think he has an instagram it's at seastone the breadwinner um all one word the letter c and then stone c stone the breadwinner anyway uh super nice guy he uh he goes hey man i, I i've got a uh i've got something i gotta do but i'm gonna come back in a little bit if you're gonna be here i'm gonna give you one of these cigars and he did he was gone for like a half hour came back i think he came back because i didn't see him hang out afterwards i think he came back just to hand me that cigar just to what, give a, you what a, a super smoke. cool guy right that's awesome yeah. so i've had this uh this rocky patel ray lewis in my uh humidor for a few months now and um and just hadn't had a chance to sit down and really enjoy it so i did that this morning uh this is a this is a ecuadorian habano wrapper uh brazilian and mexican binder with a nicaraguan hunter and filler um and uh let's see the appearance it's a toro six and a half by 52 medium brown on the outside smooth uh smooth uh leaf very little in the way of veins small veins Mm -hmm. uh, all along it box press very firm this is a great looking cigar it's got three bands on it it's got a header and a footer 
Mm-hmm. Like a uh, like a normal cigar has the regular band on, uh, and then it has the footer, which is a, another purple band that matches it. And then in the middle is a big picture of Ray Lewis. <laughs> yeah, with <laughs> right. with his full like Ravens jersey on. Right, like, right. Mind you, big yeah, the whole picture thing. of yeah. Ray Lewis right, right in the yeah. middle. And if so, you're a quarterback, this is what he looks like. You can you know, when he's charging in and about to sack you, and then you just <laughs> right. move the cigar the closer to your face. You yes, right. <laughs> It's it's pretty awesome, uh, you know. Maybe I need to get a, a cigar and have my uh, have my likeness put on there while I'm sitting here. You know, Matt Booth has his likeness on some of the stands of the cigars. <laughs> he does. He, he does. He, your buddy Matt. That guy's so funny. So uh, the pre-light sniff on this, I was getting chocolate and a little creamy kind of uh, mm-hmm. smell and just mm-hmm. basic, you know, traditional tobacco smell. There wasn't a lot going on on the nose at the very beginning of this. Um, Cigar. Uh, the pre-light draw was effortless. I, did, I used a clip on it. Um, it had a very fruity, uh, spicy with sweet cream is is what I got on a pre-light draw. Mm. It was very interesting. Uh, the initial light, instead of being peppery like most cigars, start off with a very peppery and spicy kind of mm-hmm. thing. Even if they're not a very peppery cigar, they always start out you that You always way. get that you know, first that? little burst. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's just one of those things. This one started off tangy and fruity. Mm. I mean, like, very tangy and fruity. Uh, very light pepper in the background. Uh, started off very medium, uh, mild to medium uh, strength on that. The first third of this, I had a slight canoeing on it, so I took a picture of that. Um, there's a slight canoeing going on, on and I kind of just let it run to see what would happen. Because mm-hmm. I'm curious. And um, so as the canoeing was going on, I had a strong fruit and cedar uh, flavors, sweet wine aftertaste, just a little kiss of like a sweet wine mm-hmm. with cedar kind of thing going on. It was a very interesting cigar because it was not what I expected at all. The second third of this, the cedar ramped up and came right up front. The sweet cream and fruity flavors were still there. So when the cedar ramped up, it was just like the strength of the cigar went up to a full medium mm-hmm. kind of strength, you know? Instead of being mild to medium, it was definitely in the medium uh, strength at this point. It was still slightly canoeing, but it hadn't really gotten worse. So I just left it just to see where it would go. The uh, last third of the cigar, very cedar and fruity. I mean, this thing was like a fruitcake at this point, laced with cedar. Like, like if you took a cedar plank and, and baked a fruitcake on it. <laughs> it's actually pretty that's good. That's a whole c- new idea yeah. for Christmas, yeah. you realize. I was going to say, that's a Saturday uh, a cedar, yeah. yes. cedar plank. Yeah. You know, everyone does that with grilling now. Yeah. That's what the, this that's one right. tastes like a fruitcake. The bad news, Ian, I got you a fruitcake for Christmas. The good news <laughs> is I made it on a cedar plank. That's right. So this this was very much those flavors. There's uh, still sweet uh, creaminess in it, but it moved a little bit to the back. It started gaining kind of a toasty and nutty flavor. And um, and at this point in time, I corrected the canoeing. Uh, yeah. I just hit it with the lighter. And it took almost no time. The rest of the cigar smoked perfectly straight. The canoeing actually smoked almost the exact same all the way down. It never right. got like to a worse it, canoe. We didn't like keep rolling. Right. Right, yeah. so, but it, it just kept the same way all the way down, which was okay. Um, I corrected the canoeing and smoked great all the way through. Price to quality. This is a $12.50 cigar, $13 mm-hmm, cigar-ish mm-hmm. right there. Um, I give it a five. Was, Ray's got to get his cut, so there's <laughs> that, right? <Yeah. laughs> right, right. Ray doing I give it, it a five. Free. It was an interesting cigar. It's uh, It was such an interesting flavor profile. I wasn't expecting it at all. Uh, I don't expect those flavors from a Rocky Patel cigar at mm-hmm. all. Uh, Rocky Patel, a lot of times I expect a little more traditional tobacco flavors and, and things like that. This was very fruity, very creamy. I would highly recommend this to uh, anyone who likes coffee. It went very mm-hmm. well with coffee. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, 
I would also highly recommend it to anyone who likes very mild cigars but wants to step up and try something a little bit bigger. Yeah, next step up. Yeah. But but also with no harshness. This thing was was very very smooth all the way through and with those sweet flavors going through it never it never had any tongue bite or any uh, harshness in the palate at all. So um at, at a 5 still still a pretty highly recommended for that because uh, because it was it was enjoyable. So. Yeah, I've I've had this cigar. It's been a while actually since mm-hmm. I had this, I and mean, I've had it and had very similar experience to yours. I would I'd, I'd give it the five also because if this were like an eight nine dollar cigar, I'd give it like a oh absolutely a big yeah, yeah. But at that price, I feel like yeah, it, it just it really just should. is worth what uh, right what and um, one of the things that we do on the show when we talk about cigars is we try to do a what we call a price to quality scale yeah. uh, with uh, it being a one to ten with five being you get right what you paid for in other right. words it was totally worth yeah. if it's an eight dollar cigar that cigar was totally worth eight dollars if it was a fifteen dollar cigar that cigar was totally worth fifteen dollars and uh, so a lot of times more pricier cigars stuff that's over the ten dollar eleven dollar mark super premium it's really tough those have got to be awfully good to get better than a five because now you're getting into what we call a super premium so the five is a great rating you get exactly what you pay for it to price absolutely that's a good thing if you get below that maybe your cigar wasn't as good as what i paid yeah right exactly (laughs) it might have still been good but wasn't maybe quite as good and you got to also try to compare it to other things you've had in the same price range and i will say that the uh you know the uh, the AJ uh, the Hoyo de Monterey by AJ mm-hmm. has destroyed the eight dollar price range for me because now I compare because <laughs> now I compare everything to that and I go well this was good but it wasn't as good as it that wasn't as good as that so, right. yeah so but uh, uh, well I, I kind of went the other way uh, this week and I had um, a, a cigar that was called the Wrath. Uh, it was it sounds uh, awesome. Yes, it does sound off. Uh, actually, I was really excited initially because, as I often do, I I will look. I don't think it's dyslexia. I think it's some weird little mind quirk that I have, where I will look at a word, but my brain wants to see a different word instead. Mm-hmm. So up see? until the time that I lit it, I was convinced I was about to smoke a wraith. <laughs> you know, like the the winged uh, uh, creatures, you know. Uh, so, uh, uh, so I was all excited. Then I was, oh, wrath. Okay, well, uh, that could still be good. Wrath uh, is by Studio Tobacco. Studio Tobacco is the division of Oliva mm-hmm. that does Nub and Cane, and uh, they do Wrath as well. Now you might say, well, I've never seen a Wrath. Well, that would be because. It's actually only available through Thompson uh, uh, on the internet oh, or, okay. or mail so it's order. A Thompson and, exclusive. Yeah. And every now and then, uh, although we we certainly do support you know mom and pop you know and and uh, brick and mortar uh, uh, cigar shops. Every now and then, I do like to smoke something from there and talk about it on the show from uh, the online and talk about it on the show because otherwise you don't you don't see these cigars reviewed in Cigar Aficionado. Uh, they generally only review stuff that's available at the brick and mortars. Yeah. So uh, so it can be good if you're going to plunk down some money for a wrath what's it going to be like so i thought i would i would do this on your behalf actually i did it because i wanted a cigar but, <laughs> uh, but you know that sounds right. well thanks thanks for uh, taking one for yeah. the team. uh it's a uh, it was a connecticut broadleaf maduro wrapper mexican binder and nicaraguan fillers uh on the pre-light nice earth and a really that kind of tobacco we know i always feel yeah. like i'm not being very descriptive when i say it smelled like tobacco no but, i think traditional tobacco yeah, is yeah. definitely its own flavor it, it like, kind of has its, its own, own smell, smell. Yeah. yeah uh i used a punch it lit easily and i was really impressed from the very beginning by the super straight burn. I mean, from the from the moment I lit it, it wasn't one of those like, 
almost straight burns. It was like a razor's edge mm. straight burn. And I was like, huh, that's interesting because this is one of those you know, like private label type things. Right, you don't right. always yeah. expect those to have the best construction, well, right? Well, because you expect yeah. those because of their price point to sometimes Right. Like you that. expect them because of the price point and because you figure these are probably not being given to the most seasoned rollers in right, the right. factory, right? So you figure, you know, that's going to be part of the price you pay. If the flavor's good, you put up with a little uh, crooked burn or, or whatever, it's not a big deal. Well, this one, it burned just like absolutely beautifully from the very beginning. And I'll go ahead and say, all, all the way down. I mean, it didn't stay razor straight the whole way, but it was beautiful. Mm. It was beautiful all the way down. Uh, I got earth and uh, chocolate almost immediately with that, you know, Nicaraguan filler. So you got that blast of pepper mm-hmm. at the beginning. But the pepper, um, you know, it maintained throughout, but it wasn't this big, sort of loud, spicy pepper. It was more like on the tip of the tongue mm-hmm. pepper as opposed to something that sort of takes over the palate. Um, I also got some notes of dried fruit, particularly in like the second uh, half of the cigar. It was a really a little bit different, uh, a little bit different uh, taste or, or uh, aromas from what I've experienced before in the Oliva line. Mm-hmm. Usually those have a little more of the creaminess. Creaminess, this was definitely more earthy and the dried fruit and a little darker. This was a, a Maduro. It was a Robusto Maduro. Um, but it was a medium-bodied smoke all the way through. Uh, construction was amazing all the way through. So I got this in a bundle, uh, kind of a mixed bundle of Oliva cigars that I got on, on Thompson. It was one of those things where you, you sign in the website and go, oh, if you're spending X amount, you get this bundle for like, you know, X dollars or whatever. And I nice. was like, oh, that that sounds good. I yes, love Oliva cigars. Boom. So uh, so it came with some regular Olivas and I think a cane or something and, and – uh, I really had no idea, even when I was smoking it, what the actual price of this. I was I was prepared to give this cigar a solid five. Mm-hmm. I was very impressed. thought it thought it smoked well. Totally got what I paid for. Then I went to the site and looked up how much it cost. It's a four dollar cigar. Oh wow! So price to quality jumps to a six and a half. Nice. Uh, just because you got so much bang for the money nice. on on that. I mean, when you're talking a three dollar or a four dollar cigar, I'm just hoping. It doesn't suck. You know what I yeah, mean? Like, yeah. you're just hoping it's not like, oh, well. And then you have little gems. <coughs> right. Know? And this is, you know, you think of, we think of Nico Libres in that, uh, yeah, yeah. in that Obsidian. Uh, area. Uh, Obsidian. Yeah. Uh, but this one, uh, so new surprise and only available through uh, Thompson. So I may have to go back on and, uh, you know, well, order. They come in boxes of 15, by the way, which I also thought was. Can you afford that? Was at $4 you, you, <laughs> uh, Oddly enough, yeah, it's pretty affordable. So. Yeah. Uh, but you know, sometimes you get things like that. You go, oh God, I got to order a bundle of a hundred uh, to get the price. But no, that's just, not the case. Just a quick note about buying online versus mm-hmm. buying at the uh, at the retail shops. Okay, mm-hmm. the mom and pop shops. Uh, I'm all about buying at the uh, mom and pop shops when you can. As a matter of fact, it's a rare time that I go in and I don't buy some cigars. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I think that's a wonderful thing. I will say that you see these deals online, the box them for X amount, you know, and I'm talking about your major name brands, not sure, your right. exclusives, yeah, you right. know, uh, or the ones like you're talking about where they're made specifically for them and uh, and at a, a bargain price. Mm-hmm. Um, those big brands, a lot of times when you see them, uh, you see that price drop, but you also get hit with shipping and mm-hmm. handling, which ends up putting it right about at the same price right. a lot of times. Exactly. So. If you're if you are shopping online and you're thinking, okay, well, I can just buy this online, or I could tip down to my shop. Make sure you do that math because 
it's a way cooler just to tip down to your shop and buy it if it's going to cost you the same anyway. Right. And Plus, then you walk down to the shop and you get the social interaction, which is awesome. Yes. You know? and, and I'll say this. As a person who buys a lot of stuff online, and I don't generally enjoy going shopping all that much, I do genuinely enjoy going cigar shopping. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's, actually, <laughs> that's actually fun. And the one thing that has happened to me almost every time – I've ordered cigars online and be like, oh, okay, so that's going to be really good. Okay, click, click, click. Okay, paid. Good. There's the confirmation email. How long do I have to wait now before I can yeah. smoke one? You know. Yeah. Whereas if you've gone to the uh, uh, to the local cigar shop, mm, there's your instant gratification. Yeah, they're like, you want me to cut this for you now? Yeah. I love that question. You exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we got a lot to do on the show today. Michael Gallagher is here from Trincaro Spirits. We're going to be tasting uh, the Amador Bourbon, and we're going to be tasting some vermouth. And I'm going to be completely honest with you, uh, Ian. I don't know for all of the spirits and stuff. That I've tried. I don't know if I've ever done straight vermouth. I've had it. I in, have I've had it in martinis. You know, you mentioned it when we were chatting the other day about this. That, yes. that did we're you roll try your to... eyes or did you gag a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm just I'm curious. I have no idea. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I I've had it in plenty of mixers. Yep. Well, but I've never had it like as just here. Try this. So, I don't know why it's never occurred to me. I mean, there's alcohol in it. So. Well, right. And well, <laughs> but, but hey, there's alcohol in Malort, and we all remember how that went. <laughs> so, uh, so that's you know, word uh, to the wise. But uh, but no, I was thinking about this. I was thinking that Michael was bringing this in, and I thought, well, I mean, he's no dummy. He's here to represent his company. He's not going to bring something along that we're. Going to be likely to dislike, right? He's not going to malord us, right? He's not going to. Let's let's hope not. I wouldn't expect it from a rep. <laughs> I would expect it from like Alan Denny, you know, or somebody like that. But I, you know, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily expect it from someone who's representing. Speaking their of Alan, I uh, spoke who, with who him. nobody cares. Right, about. nobody cares about him. I spoke with him earlier today and his cigar shop. He's hoping mm-hmm. up and running by next week. We're nice. working on getting in there. Uh, I think we're talking about first week of October. He's going to be on the island, and uh, yeah, we're going to go down to Galveston. We're going to see if we can get a Galveston brewery of some sort uh, to join us on that show. I think that's going to be fun. Oh, what a terrible idea that! Yeah, would it's be. the worst. Yeah, uh, yeah. The worst. I don't know where you come what up with this I nonsense. Thinking? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, so anyway, we have uh, we have a lot of interesting tasting to do. Plus, tasting I think some very interesting beers. Barrier Brewing Company has released a beer in conjunction with, and I always hesitate to bring up bands because I, I figure you're going to probably mock me like uh, you do with Chevelle. Only if it's Chevelle. Yeah. Uh, uh, they have released a Pilsner called Barstool Warrior with Dream Theater. Dream Theater is hard to make fun of. Okay. I, I mean, they're I, a little I, overindulgent, but, yeah, but they're pretty awesome. Yeah, they've, they've got the chops. Okay. Uh, so Barrier Brewing Company, Barstool Warrior, Dream Theater, Pilsner. We'll be tasting today. Anchorage Brewing has an IPA called Pie Assassin. I knew that would make you smile. I knew that would make you smile. <laughs> I like uh, that. And from Four Fathers Brewing, which is not Four Fathers as in our Four no, Fathers. The founded four. The, but the number four, Four Fathers Brewing. Uh, we have from them today a raspberry heavy hitter Belgian style imperial stout. Ah. So this should be interesting. So all of that to taste, plus the aforementioned uh, bourbon and vermouth, and we we promised to get to this the story of the artificial tongue, which is all about how whiskey is uh, is going to be tasted now to uh, keep counterfeit whiskey away. Did you ever see the cartoon The Tick? Yes, yeah. it was the the evil. Uh, yes. 
The evil uh, you know, the guy tick called is still the tongue. On. This tick is still on, like Hulu or something like that. The, one of the well, they, they, the they made a live services. action. Yeah, the, the live action now. they're doing. Yeah, so that's coming up. Plus, Polygamy Porter, which we have had here oh, on yeah. the show before, very good. It's illegal in North Carolina. What? I'll tell you why. Coming up, it's smoking and toasting, uh, and it's show number one hundred and fifty-two. And we will be right back. That's too funny. <laughs> All right. back, ladies and gentlemen. It's smoking and toasting. Uh, this is the radio program that's all about craft beer, uh, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. My name is Cruz, and we are uh, thrilled to have you along for show number 152. We're brought to you by B&B Butchers and Restaurant, 1814 Washington Ave in Houston, and in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth. Uh, by the way, I spoke to uh, our buddy Jeremiah over at B&B uh, oh, yeah? this week, and uh, I, th- he's, uh, I think he's got a couple of weeks where he's going to be off on Thursdays, so he is totally planning to pod crash. Nice. And I'm so excited. Nice. Nice. Yeah, because it's always it's always great when you have him on the show. He's so fun. Always, always so. And in fact, we might even go over there to make it easier for him to podcast. Oh, so, there you go. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how that comes out. I don't know. It's awfully hot to be it's out pretty out hot. on the deck smoking cigars right you now. You know, when but, I look at my phone and it says, "Oh, it's like ninety four degrees with a heat index of hundred and six. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, the heat index is. Uh, and no no breeze mm-hmm. whatsoever to even speak of. Yeah, it's it's not uh, it's not fun. But this is these are, these are the months. Um, it's it's about a month and a half stretch here that um, it's important if you are uh, uh, someone who lives in Houston, as Ian and I both do. Um, it's important for us to have this time because if we didn't have this time, every moron in every city in the country would be trying to move here. Uh-huh. So this is what keeps us from. Growing too fast, right? You know what I mean. So because we'll, you we'll, have to be able to handle this. We'll slightly complain about this, but mm-hmm. then when it comes to the middle of December and we're wearing shorts and yes, sitting on the exactly. rooftop patio, <laughs> <laughs> um, despite the best efforts of Wasatch Brewing Company, fine brewing company in Utah. Yes, they make we've had a beer. number of their beers on the show. They've always been terrific, including by by the way, the Polygamy Porter, oh, yeah. which we got a great laugh out of and loved the can artwork and and loved the beer. Yes. Uh, despite their best efforts, they've not been able to convince North Carolina to allow Polygamy Porter to be sold in the state. The beer in question is already being sold in at least 20 other states, yeah. uh, including here uh, in, in Texas, where we are based, uh, including Utah. Uh, but it was reported in mid-July that authorities in North Carolina have rejected the beer because, and I quote here, polygamy is illegal. <laughs> Wasatch has uh, filed an appeal, hoping to uh, argue their case and bring the beer to the state. We'll do our best, they say, to make this available to the folks out in North Carolina, and they'll get to enjoy all of the fantastic polygamy porter that that, we're making here in Utah. Does that mean that any movie or or picture of something that describes something illegal is... Should should not be allowed in North Carolina. Well, yeah. Like, think think of all of the um, like. Um, this is what they're standing on is a right, beer called exactly. Polygamy Porter. Right. Exactly. They shouldn't. You shouldn't be allowed to sell. You know, uh, DVDs of like 
uh, murder on whatever, like like anything right. with murder murder's in the title. Illegal. Murder's illegal, right? Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. There, just... <laughs> there could be a fear that you know they're constantly going to be buying three at a time, four at a time. <laughs> but That's comes probably in a six pack, <laughs> right? Yes, yes, <laughs> it certainly does. And no one drinks just one. <laughs> yes, that's right. So, William <laughs> well, Porter, bet you can't to, drink one. <laughs> to to me, this is just the perfect example of how far off the rails we have a tendency to go in this country in getting focused on. The stupidest things, oh, yeah. while well, bigger and more important this things. This is also are the unresolved. best marketing for them because everybody's oh, it, like, "What's this oh, yeah. polygamy it ab- order?" It Let's absolutely get some of is. This. It, it absolutely is. In fact, you know, I can tell you when when that kind of marketing uh, thing happens to you, you grab onto it and try to make as much. Yeah, well, I, the most uh, people as you running can. across the states. Buying yeah, yeah. You, you yeah, know, I just get absolutely disgusted by the fact that someone would find this incredibly stupid issue to stand on when there are so many other exactly. things but that might, you know, matter. It does get attention though. <laughs> We're talking about it, you know. So yeah. so it just it just goes to show you, I guess. But anyway, I thought that was I thought it was actually an awesome That's, sort of that, a story. How beautiful is bureaucracy? Yeah. Bu- bureaucracy? <laughs> Did you say bureaucracy? Bureaucracy. I like bureaucracy. that. I didn't say that, but I new like name, that. New name for the show in case we have to change it again. Wow. Uh, nothing but real, authentic sound effects here on the program, ladies and gentlemen. We, Ian, we spent the extra money to make that. Ian, Ian has just cracked open Barrier Brewing Company's Barstool Warrior, the uh, collaboration with the band Dream Theater. So this should be very interesting. Um, should be very interesting to see how this one goes down. Uh, you know, a Dream Theater, for anyone who's not familiar with the band, is definitely a progressive rock uh, act. This is... You know, musicians have a tendency to be fans of this. You know, this kind of band. Not a lot of girls at a dream theater. No, show. you're absolutely right. It's not. It's not chick rock. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it's a. You know, it, it's you know they're they're actually very good. I like I like dream theater. Oh, I, I do too. They're um they're definitely accomplished. You know, musicians and, yeah, oh, and yeah. writers. Uh, and like stuff, those so. guys are insane. There's so. actually uh, if you go on YouTube and watch uh, and, and look up dream theater and drummer, they had uh, drummer auditions because their original drummer, I think, due to health reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, stepped out. And so these had, guys have been around. I've never heard of them. These guys. Oh have been man, yeah, they came out in uh, early '90s. Yeah, it's definitely early '90s prog rock is yeah, what I think. Early of it '90s. As, yeah. They had their biggest yeah. hit was "Pull Me Under." Then "Pull Me Under," which and, is uh, you know, actually does have a melody, which not all prog yeah. rock does. That's actually uh, which probably is good one of my favorite songs. Of yeah, I, I like that one actually. So, uh, well, let's see how they did in the in the beer category. Well, I'm watching. I'm you. not. You I'm not getting. A, I'm not getting a lot on the nose. There's not a lot of nose to yeah, it at all. there's not much going on right there in the. Mm-hmm. In the smell. It's uh, it's really um, okay. Wow, wow. Okay, so I will tell you that my first reaction was just a straightforward lager, and then it had this interesting finish. There are so many notes. Yeah, I'm just joking. That's funny. There's, like, there's like lemon. I get lemon. What is yeah, the, there's a bit of lemon. Like what a is the, lemon skin. What is the scene in the movie Amadeus where he's <laughs> he's writing the symphony or whatever for the king and the king and, and somebody tells the king there's too many notes in in it and then, and the king says, "Oh, well just Take out some of the notes, then. Yes, just leave some out. Yeah, they just just as easy as that, that fixed it. Um, so um, I get, but I get almost all of the flavor on the finish. It actually has a return, almost like a spirit uh, will. You know, where you get the whiskey hug. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Although it's not really a hug, it's more like a, it's more on the tongue. Uh, so 
Yeah, this has the the finish is very le- like you said. You're smelling lemon. Lemony, it's very yeah. lemon citrus on the finish. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of body up front, and no. um, and uh, the mouth feels a little thin overall. It's, it's pretty, very drinkable though. Pretty very refreshing. Summer. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's you know what's the ABV on this one? I'm gonna guess it's fairly low. Yeah, it doesn't. Oh, five percent. Five percent. Okay, well, for, uh, you know, for as a, a lager, lager that's say it's, not it's, too low. It's quite drinkable. I love the artwork on oh, this thing. By the way, did I call this? Right did I call this a lager? I think you might. And have. it's actually a pilsner. My bad. It is a pilsner. Artwork on. I'm looking at my notes. It's a pilsner. It the... No, you're not wrong technically. <laughs> right, but but in uh, in terms of the um, yeah, it, so here's the part for me that's kind of weird about it. That it comes in one of these tall, like, 16-ounce cans. Uh, because this almost seems to me like something that you come in a 6-pack or a 12-pack, and you have it by the pool, and it's very crushable and has some nice flavor to it. You know? Well, but it also, uh, due to the stick-on label here mm-hmm. that's, that's stuck on rather badly, actually, mm-hmm. um, which... Like I, that doesn't bother me, by the way. That's just a that's just an observation. It's a little crooked and uh, a little wrinkled, but uh, I I, su- I assume what this is is uh, is a limited edition I, that they you know put out and yes, said yes. and said you know we're going to can some of this and make it available. I'm um, I'll tell you this about this in a can. Um, overall, I think this is drinkable. I, I think this would be really good. At the brewery on a hot day, like this right. would probably be one of my go-to's after you know I drank whatever incredibly dark malty beers they have because that's right. my favorite. And you're kind of like clearing your palate out a little right. bit, right? Uh, and the, so I would I would lighter. definitely go for this as that. Um, it's probably not my first grab, but but it's pretty good. I just think it's a it's lacking a little bit on the front end, but it's got that great finish got a great on finish it. though. Because even though it has that citrusy finish, it's not a real hoppy finish, and right. it, it finishes real clean. To me, so it's kind of interesting. Um, Barrier Brewing, I think of them as uh, one of the companies that has all these super interesting limited release IPAs. They're, they kind of seem. I feel like they specialize more in that style, and it does make me wonder. Like I'm always impressed when a brewery that's really known for one thing. And that kind of being their calling card comes out with a completely different style, and it's really good. Mm-hmm. Like when you like when you try the porter from Stone, you know, who are known, you know, almost exclusively for their IPAs. Yeah. And then you try the porter, and you're like, oh wow, they nailed this. Yes. Like that's always to me very impressive. If they put out a new IPA, I expect it to be good. Their yeah. IPAs are always good. Yeah, hands but, down. Right. But the uh, so so I kind of wonder, is it harder for for a brewery? That well, specializes in in a particular I style to break and, away and do a pilsner. I think you know? a good pilsner is a good lager. Are some of the hardest styles I to make. Totally mm-hmm. agree. Mm-hmm. You know, stick absolutely. those things away for eight weeks and then see what happens. Yeah, because they're so they're so delicate in general. I will say, after everything I said about this, I I did go back for seconds. I was just about it's, to say, I kind of want more. It's yes. very refreshing. Here, please. You know? Uh, it's very refreshing. So, um, so I, I would think this one is actually growing on us a little bit. Which, by the way. It's not unlike an album there's, track by Dream Theater. This, <laughs> you listen to it at first, you go, well, that's pretty good. Like, clearly there's a lot of great musicianship <laughs> right. going on here, but you don't necessarily walk away whistling it. Then if you listen to it, like, you know, three, four times, then you're kind of like, you know, there's a really little bit like of that track. There's a little bit of, and, and this is going to sound funny, but I mean this in a great way. There's a little bit of fresh cut lawn going on here. 
Mm-hmm. A little bit of grassiness to it that I, that but I not so like. much because that that flavor I, I'm not really a fan of, and it keeps me from liking like St. Arnold's lawnmower, which has that in abundance, and I just. I love St. Arnold. I just don't like that particular beer, and I have right. friends who love it. It's it's their so favorite. I like that beer. Yeah, but uh, but if they had too much of that, they would push me away. They don't overdo it. I think with this, and I'm liking this better. And so I got to tell you, after the after the first taste of this, like I think that the more I taste this, the more subtleties are coming out. Actually, it also may be warming up a little bit. Yeah. Which yeah. which could help. Like that. I'm starting to taste a little more on the on the very front of this, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little more of the uh, the uh, malt. Profile malt and lemon, which by the way go together much better than you might think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's a funny thing. So I assume, like, if I was sitting at the at the brewery having a pint of this, Mm -hmm. I'm assuming at the beginning of this pint, I would probably say pretty much what I said earlier. But by the end of this pint, I'd be like, you know what, that's a pretty darn good beer. If you were sitting at the brewery having a pint of that, you would obviously know that you had parked in the appropriate spot on your way in, right? There's that. There's that. Okay, good. We'll just let that go then. You're pushing a story uh, here. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just. I can actually, see I this. just wanted to see that look on your face. That's what I, I can wanted see to see. This. That's what I wanted. That's to a see. mystery for another time. Yes, it is, and and perhaps uh, perhaps many many more beers. So, <laughs> um, so uh, let's uh, let's start talking a little bit about Trincaro. We Michael uh, Gallagher has been uh, a very gracious guest so far and has joined us and talking about other things. We haven't asked you at all. Uh, about your your company, Michael um, Trincaro Spirits. This started out though not as a spirits company, right? Started out uh, totally as yeah. a winery and getting. Uh, uh, you can, you can go over this, but what people people may not be familiar with the name Trincaro, but I bet they're familiar with some of the wines that are uh, that are uh, done by you guys. Correct. Yeah. So yeah. you know the thing. I work for a great company. Let's just start there. Uh, mm-hmm. Family owned company. Um, in the third generation now, um, coming up into it. And this company, I mean, this is the, this family is the, it's the American dream. They came over from Italy in the uh, early 1900s. They worked their way through. They bought a winery in 1946, right. 1947, mm-hmm. you know, dumped their life savings, uh, the two brothers. And once that was built and set, you know, they couldn't afford to paint the roof. So they left it, right. and the roof said Sutter Home Winery on it, mm-hmm. and they toiled along and just kept doing their thing. And fast forward to the 1970s, uh, Bob Trincaro, who's the son of uh, Mario, um, took a, uh, was making a, known for making Zinfandel and was making a second run of Zinfandel that had a stalled fermentation. And, you know, Bob's in the uh, Smithsonian for with his wine, and he created the white Zinfandel category that wow. just took America by storm. Created a category, yeah, that's, yeah. that's yeah. pretty big. Yeah, yeah. 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 that's uh, you know, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of talk about you know what, you know what put Napa on the map uh, worldwide. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about the uh, the Paris tasting. I think it was 1976 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that put Napa on the map. But what put wine on the table was really Sutter Home White Zinfandel. Um, and You're absolutely right, because there drinking was... drinking it. Yeah, there was a period of time where that wine was just mm-hmm. absolutely everywhere. Right. Wasn't... Um, and and it might still be I don't know but wasn't there at least at least a time during where you're talking about when Sutter Home was the best selling wine oh, in yeah. America yes yeah yes I mean that's amazing if you yes. think of how many right, wines right. there are the the the, the, the amount of the amount of cases that um, they still that we still produce is incredible it's it's uh, phenomenal um, and and back walk me back through this it was 
a, he was basically uh, was uh, doing regular Zinfandel, and something happened. One of the processes well, didn't happen. Well, from my what? understanding of, of wine, and you understand, like I'm a spirits guy, right? Um, doing a second. Yeah, sorry run. to be asking you wine <laughs> questions, <laughs> but but this is interesting. I'm just this, I'm going to look for text from my boss here in a second. This was a whole category though that was created because yeah. of this yeah. thing. So um, um, so basically doing a second wash of the wine and putting yeast in to create the alcohol. And mm -hmm. what ended up happening is, is that yeast kind of stalled out doing their job mm. and it made a sweeter wine. Right. Um, and the, comp the, the family is very much about, um, you know, taking what they have and, and, and making it work for them. Right. So there wasn't something that they could necessarily um, sell in the market immediately. So they sold it at their tasting room and it became very popular just from, just from people, people coming, coming in, in and, and trying it and enjoying it and asking for it. And then it became, um, the next step was to get it out and market it. So when did Spirits become part of the company? So about uh, six and a half years ago. That uh, recently? Yeah, wow. that recently. Uh, wow. And, you know, really the vision for the the, the company with um, Spirits is, is partnering with like-minded families and small distilleries that have the same values that uh, the Trincaro family has and producing great product at, you know, reasonable prices. Right, um, right. Which, you know, we can look at when we start getting into Amador and tasting it. Um, if we look at the whiskey sector now and the spread, I mean, I remember seven, eight years ago, your whiskey selection was maybe in a liquor store, two shelves. Right. Two, two standing shelves, shelves worth of. Maybe 10, 12 different brands. Correct. Tops, you know. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And now it's just, it's exploded mm -hmm. and everybody's getting a piece now, which is great. You know, there's a lot of. Um, there's a lot of bourbons and a lot of scotches, a lot of Irish whiskeys that are starting to get their due because people are becoming educated. People are venturing out of their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And, oh, if I like this. Then maybe uh, I should try this. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So mm -hmm. it's uh, it's great. So that's what we're looking for in the partnership um, with, with these uh with these distilleries and with the families that own them. So um, with like Amador uh, Bourbon, for example, um, this is not something where you guys went out and built a distillery. You're partnered correct. with someone correct. who's already doing this on a, uh, a, a an artisan level. Correct. correct. Okay, good. So uh, the first, you know, we sourced this out about um, four years ago, and we went out and sourced about 600 barrels of seven, eight, nine, and 10 year old bourbons from Tom Moore distillery. Mm -hmm. And we brought that. And the thing is, is again, you know, we have this, this whiskey selection now that it's across the board. I mean, you really have to do something different to stand out. That's for sure. And, and also not be crazy about it. I mean, there's right. some stuff that's going on out there where you're just like, really? Okay, fine. That's what they want to do. Lemon meringue bourbon. No, right. thank you. Yeah, exactly. So, um, large wine, company right. we have hundreds hundreds of barrels of of used barrels of wine that we uh, that we go through and we have barrel programs with uh, other wineries so mm -hmm. we brought the bourbon out from kentucky right. and we started experimenting with different barrels to with finishing it with in different finishing. barrels exactly yeah. mm -hmm. and what we came out with was uh we used uh chardonnay barrels for the finish interesting mm. yeah and i know that um i believe it was woodford reserve they mm -hmm. did a uh, Chardonnay finish maybe seven years ago or so, but I believe that's right. Yeah, they only do I think a Pinot Noir now and then their small batch finishes um, out of there, which are all amazing and, and good. Um, but we're the only Chardonnay finished bourbon on the market right now. Fascinating, which is uh, it's awesome. Um, I mean, we can talk about it all we want, but I'd say we, we should probably taste it. I, I you know, I love um, I'm I, for it. I love talking about bourbon, yeah, but 
Yeah. Ooh, did you Tasty. hear that nice? I pop did. Right there? See, I did see that was that was uh, perfectly uh, perfectly in line with our normal high standards for authentic sound effects. So, uh, so but yes, I, I enjoy talking about bourbon, but not nearly as much as I enjoy drinking bourbon. So uh, that's a you know that's a good thing. To, this has a great nose to it. Yes, like an absolutely totally does. wonderful nose to it. You get a lot of. There's a little um, honey kind of smell in there. I'm going to guess that probably has something to do with the Chardonnay uh, barrel finish. Yeah, that that, that, that would real give it that sort of like yeah, that sort of very uh, pleasant uh, note. There's, I like it. Yeah, there's there's you get you get the the, the I'm definitely a bourbon smell. Mm-hmm. There's a light, almost fruity kind of uh, thing going on. There's a honey kind of on the nose. There's maybe cinnamon. One of the things I really like about you get a lot of uh, earth spice out of this. Yes, um, you do. One of the things that I always, I mean, the first time that I, I tasted this and smelled it, I got bananas fostered and <laughs> like a yeah, uh, the banana cooked, cooked banana or plantain. Right, right, like right, that, right. That kind of roastedness to it, which is really nice. It's got a richness to it. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. The thing, the thing with the thing with bourbon and and what we really wanted to go for was a bourbon that was approachable. Well, um, yes, you nailed oh, that. That because, is dangerously smooth. Yes, yeah. you, you nailed that because what you get on the first blush is almost it's almost too approachable. Holy like, cow! You, so you, you kind of go, "Wow, this cannot be this easy to drink." The finish on this, you said the bananas foster. The finish mm-hmm. on this is that bananas foster, and then like graham cracker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and you, but you do get the whiskey hug. Yes. Uh, right at the end, and it gives you. It, it actually is almost a return. And when you get it, you're like, oh, "Okay, I yeah. did just have a bourbon." Like so, yeah, yeah, yeah. To that point, a lot of times when I when I when I do tastings, um, you know, at liquor stores or at you know where we all met at the uh, Houston Whiskey Social, mm-hmm. uh, there's an initial from really solid hardcore bourbon drinkers. There's an initial, they swallow it, and th- I've had it a number of times where they say, "Too sweet," and then they stop. Because yeah, right. to your is, point, that right. bourbon hug comes and they're right, like, ooh, right. well, what you let get, me revisit this. No, you're absolutely right. And what I was going to say is this is almost like too easy to drink. And then here came the warmth. Here came that little whiskey hug. There's, it's because. That, that, okay, okay, I get it now. Yeah. The initial taste on this has no heat. There's a little spice. Right. But almost and some great no flavor. heat until after you swallow. And, and, and it like, kind of comes and back. And yeah. it comes back as a whiskey hug. And then it's. Absolutely delightful on the end of this. Mm-hmm. That graham cracker is killing me. I love that. Mm. It's like uh, this. This may sound a little funny, but you know, if you leave your graham cracker out just a little too long, it gets, gets a little soft. It's yeah, just a yeah, hairstyle. yeah, yeah. That's perfect. And that's it's so good. You know, you uh, like that. <laughs> like is that, that's oddly specific. I know you're just, all you're doing is taking a really bad situation with a graham cracker and putting a positive spin <laughs> on it. But I was going to say <laughs> and making it even worse. So. <laughs> Uh, but no, I, I'm with you on this, and and you said bananas foster, and I don't know if I would have articulated that, but boy, is it boy yeah. is it correct. And I, I mean, it's you know for it's the that pe- sort of burnt uh, toasted banana caramelization, uh, yeah, and, and that's flavor, you know yeah. it's a really for the people that are listening, you know, by by no stretch of the imagination is the whiskey sweet. That's mm-hmm. that's the really hard yeah. thing to right. um, really. It's uh, smooth get more than sweet. Yes, it does have a little bit of a honeyed vibe mm-hmm. to it on right on at the, the beginning tongue, of the palate. But it's not a it's not a sweet. It's not sugary at all. Yeah. Right. It's more like the smoothness of of honey. Um, I think it's delicious. Like uh, dangerously, dangerously delicious. Yeah. Um, Agreed. It uh, reminds me of the. It reminds me a bit of the Skelly. The um, uh, the tequila mm-hmm. that we like so much 
it's just so easy to drink. Right, right. Know? Well, this uh, is kind of dangerous. You it's know? interesting too because there's a you get a little bit of that uh, that malty bourbonness in the middle of the flavor. It starts with honey to me. Mm-hmm. You get a little of that malty bourbonness, and then it goes with baking spice and bananas and graham cracker to me, mm-hmm. on the end, and then comes back with that hug. This is. This is a fun whiskey too it, because it, it does I, a lot of things. I like that you're saying it that way. It totally is a fun whiskey. It's it's uh, not not all whiskeys, including some very very good ones, right. are fun to drink. Mm-hmm. Are, I agree. are fun. I totally yeah, agree. But this is totally that. fun. Is, what is the price point on a bottle of this? Uh, Thirty nine ninety nine. Wow, that's that's fantastic. It, it, it just got even more fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you know the. The mash bill on this fifteen percent corn, or uh, excuse me, fifteen percent wheat. So it's a weeded bourbon, five um, percent rye, five percent barley. The remainder is corn. So when Trinquero went out to, um, uh, you know, looking to partner up with uh, distilleries and do things, and I'm guessing you probably went to a number of different ones, Correct, and this yeah. is the one you settled on. Yeah, I can absolutely. totally see one. But you know, also I think I wasn't part of that, but at the time when they went. It was hard to buy bourbon, straight Kentucky bourbon, because it was, you know, let's look at, it was six, five, five, six years ago, kind of when we started. And it's changed that much in in that length of time, hasn't it? And getting bourbon has become something that's, you know, people kind of realized what they had and Mm -hmm. were like, not parting with it very easily. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, finding someone that understood what we were going for and understood, you know, our family's, the family's vision and what we wanted to create. No one was willing was to partner with that. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. fast forward, we can't get bourbon from them anymore, um, but we have partnered with another family-owned distillery in uh, Kentucky that is already laying down our next round of bourbons that are going to be coming out. We're going to be doing the, uh, so this will be 2021, we'll be doing our weeded bourbon finished in Chardonnay. We'll be doing a, a 15% rye um bourbon that's finished in Cabernet, and then we'll be doing a uh, 74% rye that's finished in um, port barrels that the, fa- that the that, family that, has done. I bet that would be very interesting. Yeah. So will this spirit continue to be available, or is this, this going to be? This okay. will. So uh, there'll, be a, <laughs> there'll be a small break where we have some, uh, where you're going to be using dark Kentucky whiskey with mm-hmm. uh, Indiana whiskey. And making our our whiskey for about a year to cover that time frame mm-hmm. when the stuff comes off of uh, aging in Kentucky. That's so fascinating to me that that you've got a master distiller that can actually sync the flavor, can get back to the flavor mm-hmm. that you want. Yeah, you it's, know? It, it's amazing. Watching watching somebody blend a whiskey is impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we all have pretty educated palates. I'd say a majority of the public has an educated palate now, but to watch somebody with a hyper right. aware and sensitive supernatural. Power. Right. Yeah, well, it is. I, I just remember being that impressed when we met Dave Pickrell from right. uh, from Whistlebig, the late Dave Pickrell. How uh, he you could just tell when he would describe the process. Hmm. He's got an understanding of this and a palate that can appreciate so it far and beyond, suss it out. That's yeah. so far beyond yeah. what the average person uh, can. So um, yeah, so I, I would think you would almost have to have that. To be, a, you know, a true master distiller, you would have to, you would have to be able to get those nuances and and understand. Plus, that what it's going to taste like 
when it's now it, yeah. is completely different from what it's going to taste like yeah. when it's aged. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it's fascinating. Well, this is great. I want to talk some more about this, but I also want to uh, have a uh, a vermouth conversation. Uh, and I, I so, love it. I love it. <laughs> and I love so changing we, people's mind yeah, on vermouth. And so we will get to that. Plus, okay. Um, I don't know if we've got, we got to talk about the artificial tongue. I'm just looking at the list of things we could potentially talk about. I'm curious what this is. So. The artificial tongue. we got to talk about that. So we'll get to that next as well. And we still have some beers to try, too. Anchorage Brewing's Pie Assassin IPA will be next. It's smoking and Toasting. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Smoking and Toastin'. This is the radio program uh, that is all about um, craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. We are brought to you by my good friends and fellow drinking compatriots at B&B Butchers and Restaurant, mm. uh, which is uh, at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston and in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth. I, I think I... I think I told this story, but I uh, had gone there to have uh, dinner with my wife and mentioned, not knowing if it would help the service or not, but mentioned to the waiter that I was friends with Jeremiah uh, Butler. And uh, he says, and he says, oh, Jeremiah. He goes, uh, yeah, he and I went out for a drink the other night. And I was like, you are lying. <laughs> right? Jeremiah doesn't go out for a drink. <laughs> I know him too well. There's more than There's a more, drink. more to that. So, all right. So, this is going to be of interest, I think, to you, um, um, uh, Michael, um, and would be of interest to Jeremiah as well. There's a uh, scientist and engineers in Scotland, of course, have come up with an artificial tongue that is made largely of gold and aluminum. Which is kind of like my first apartment. Sounds expensive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's an artificial tongue that can taste subtle differences in whiskey. And here's here's why they're doing this. It's not so it can be a reviewer or something like that. It's designed to help cut down on the trade of counterfeit alcohol. It's a tiny taster that exploits the optical properties of gold and aluminum in order to test the spirits. I know that sounds. That's pretty bizarre. Yeah, it sounds bizarre. So here's what they say: submicroscopic slices of metal, arranged in a checkerboard pattern, act as taste buds, about 500 times smaller than our taste buds on our on our tongues, right? Uh, and uh, this is all happening on this new artificial tongue that has been built at the University of Glasgow. Don't you know the University of Glasgow is awesome? <laughs> it's got to be an interesting it's place. It's got to be an interesting right? place. Well, yeah. The researchers report samples of single malt scotch from Glenfiddich, uh, Glenmarnock, and Lafroig over this device, measuring how the elements absorb light when they're submerged in the whiskey. The process, which scientists call, and this sounds like a, a Star Trek term, plasmonic resonance. <laughs> Plasmonic okay. resonance. Captain, the plasmonic resonance is affecting the dilithium crystals. Damn it, Cruz. I'm a doctor, not a plasmonic resonance um, reader. It's allowed the team to identify different types of spirits with this plasmonic resonance. And they boast nearly 100% accuracy. Wow. So they're able to uh, dis- uh, tell the distinctions between distilled drinks and identify the same whiskey at age 12 age 15 uh. at age 18 years well wow. this is this is all in in this is all in 
regards to uh, I think it's the Chinese market is right. They're contraband. struggling yeah. with contraband and with with fake uh, yep. fake whiskeys. Happens with cigars all the time too. Right, you right. know, wine, yeah, uh-huh. all of it. Uh, they call it an artificial tongue because it uh, reacts uh, similarly to a human tongue, uh, but it can't identify the individual chemicals that make coffee taste different to apple juice, but it can easily tell the difference between these complex chemical mixtures. So the artificial tongue is artificial but real. That's cool. Madness. Yeah, it is madness, isn't it? What does yes. one of those cost? Oh, God. <laughs> Could you even know? Like, know. probably not even a price on this yeah. thing. But if you think about it, if you are... Um, but there's hope for the future if you ever fall down and break your tongue. <laughs> right. Then you, I want one of them uh, artificial... Uh, <laughs> you ever like, need a tongue transplant? Yeah. Where's he in? Uh, he's going to the University of Glasgow for a couple of months. He'll be back. <laughs> so, uh, so I thought that was interesting. That so, is interesting. Now, um, okay, so let's... Let's shift gears here a little bit and talk about vermouth because my impression, okay, before and we haven't opened these bottles to taste yet, but my impression would be that vermouth is a dry and not necessarily. Uh, I think I would think expected to be very aromatic, but not necessarily something that would have as pleasing an effect on the tongue and the palate. As some other spirits, like for example the uh, the whiskey, the uh, the bourbon that we just had, mm-hmm. um, because I think of it more as something that you use to offset other flavors and create interesting combinations, right. In like a great martini or or something like that. Well, so tell me why I, tell me why I am not appreciating uh, the full uh, picture of vermouth. Well, let's start with it's not your fault. Okay. Okay. Um, I, you know, we had hear this. that, Ian. It's not my fault. I, you know, I, I, I'm not on board with this already. Okay. Hi. I it love is your this. fault. <laughs> Everything is your fault. I'm sorry. Go ahead. But you know the the American public, we had a small run of about 13 years where we were dry, and in that time, right before we had this amazing, you know, renaissance of cocktails that was happening, a golden age of mm-hmm. cocktails, right. 20s, 30s. Uh, right. I, I should say before, actually, before that. No, but you're right. There, cocktails were a big, were a big deal. Yeah. You know, and, mm-hmm. you know, if you know the history of why an old-fashioned is an old-fashioned, then you know, that's, <coughs> right. that's in regards to that. Um, now, fast forward through Prohibition, you know, everything kind of goes away. I mean, distilleries go out of business, some mm-hmm. wineries shut down. Uh, there, there's a lot happening in the United States. So our kind of transition out of cocktails into drinking amaras vermouths and all that was dated i mean we didn't do it and when we got through prohibition we just started drinking again beer whiskey anything we could get our hands anything on. we could get our hands on exactly <laughs> You're absolutely right and, yeah uh, so that kind of uh, and there were some really awful beer and spirits consumed during Correct. prohibition during yeah. oh my god bathtub it was gins like, so it's like your like bathtub <laughs> gin sounds so delicious yeah. <laughs> like your worst nightmare mm, buddy that needs who a little more juniper there buddy yeah, yeah. Uh, your worst your worst nightmare buddy who does home brewing right uh, I'm not talking about the ones who know what they're doing. I'm talking about the, the guys ones that like, don't. Just hey, FYI, taste my IPA. Just, just an FYI, backyard distilling does not smell good. Yeah. Oh, good to know. <laughs> good to know. This is good so, to know. So after Prohibition, we began to open up to pretty drinking. much all kinds of things because drinking was allowed again, right? right. Exactly. Now, you know, you go back in, in <clears throat> Europe, I mean, drinking Amaro's, vermouths, aperitifs, digestifs, mm-hmm. that's a thing. You know, sure. it's part of the culture of going out Absolutely. And, and eating and drinking. Um, but so our idea of vermouth grappas. is, yeah, grappas, <laughs> yeah. our idea of, of vermouth is very limited because our exposure is, is not As a been mixer. there. Right. Now yeah. we can thank 
you know, Carpano Antica that came out, you know, not came out, but kind of reinvigorated this idea of what Verm- what a sweet vermouth should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really did a, a good job of that. Um, and as such, we have seen this influx of vermouths and Amaros and come into the market. Uh, now, one of the cool things about, you know, the family that I work for is I mentioned earlier, they came up from Italy, early 1900s. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mario learned to make wine from his dad and his uncle. And along with his brother, they were taught how to make vermouth. So the family had their own vermouth recipe. And when they came over to the States, they brought their knowledge of winemaking and vermouth. And Do you know what the process for fortifying wine actually is? Oh, yeah, we'll get into it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so when that, when that happened and he came over and he was a bartender and he was bartending during uh, Prohibition and speakeasies, mm-hmm. he was making this stuff. You couldn't go out and buy it. Right. So after uh, Prohibition ended, he became uh, a bartender at the Waldorf Astoria and the Barbizon um, Plaza Hotel. Nice. And, you know, that, that was what he was doing. And then sure. he uprooted his family and moved them out to Napa in 1946, 1947, which... And invested the money in the winery. In the winery. Yeah. So you go into 1950s, they actually started producing their vermouth. Um, and it was uh, called Trincari's Vermouth. Um, they produced that all the way up until the 1980s, but stopped because of the explosion of Sutter Home White Zinfandel and they needed all the vats they could mm-hmm. possibly needed get everything to get right. the demand. Exactly. Yeah, right. So that really went dormant for them. Um, you know, one of the things that happened in the Trinquero family was during the nineteen sixties, uh, they would celebrate hundred dollar cash days with Mario's favorite drink with which was a uh, perfect martini. And they would make it with the family vermouth and gin and that's what they would have in celebration of it. Nice. Um but how this really came Notice back? Notice he said the perfect martini. Uh, don't gin. start with me. Don't start I'm with just me. Just pointing that out. Yeah. Don't start with I'm me. I'm with him. Just an yeah. FYI. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, like a gin martini. I just, you know, I like vodka for the same reason I like tofu. Doesn't taste like anything. That's right. <laughs> tastes can, like whatever you, you put in it. You can whip it up any way you want to. <laughs> it's weird that you said you like tofu. Anyway, barbecued tofu is probably his favorite. If you haven't had tofu that you've liked then you haven't had good tofu because it it's just like it's just like vodka it can be as a sponge yes it can be absolutely tasteless and bland or in the right hands i mean you can make tofu taste like chicken yes but you know what tastes like chicken 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 Chicken. okay but in the right hands a chef can make tofu taste like something that's more than just a meat or a spice Uh. or you see what i'm saying i mean think of uh, think of someone who makes a great sauce. Like tofu can be thought of in the same way. Like that sauce is more than just the meat flavor or the vegetable flavor or the cream flavor that goes into the sauce. If it's a great sauce, you guys should have a talk show just on tofu. <laughs> I, I think we're digressing here. <laughs> I think we are. Did you see me just light them up? Yeah. Oh my, oh my God! Will you look? Everyone has dropped off of Facebook. <laughs> They're all gone. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, no, you're all we'll, good. I guess Actually, we'll just drink some vermouth now. So. We should. But, uh, you know, really our, our understanding of, of vermouth. Chris in, is asking where the Amador is. I'm just going to yeah. hold that up there and say we're having some, actually. Yes, I'm yeah. sorry. Go ahead. But the, with <laughs> vermouth, I mean, we all, we all got the jokes, right? Yeah, I, mean, right, when, right. I, I, was a, I was a bartender for a long time. And a lot of times, you know, ask, somebody asked for a martini, mm-hmm. you know, just a touch of vermouth. The joke was you touch the glass to the right, bottle, right, you know, exactly, wave it exactly. over the top. Yeah, of course, yeah. You know, and, and really vermouth, dry vermouth in particular, was that 
green bottle of M&R that sat on the back that was never refrigerated. That was right. top would get a little crusty. Was, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, right. So, I mean, in all actuality, what you're smelling is, you know, this is what ver- dry vermouth should be. I mean, well, so, it's it's no Malort, I'll tell you that. <laughs> it smells really actually very rich. It does. It smells very fruity. Um, um, I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for, but it smells it smells kind of complex. And yeah. and rich. Yes. I I don't know if complex is the right word, but intense definitely. Intense, intense. yes, definitely. Well, this is yeah. And so rich and this vermouth is made from um, French Columbard, which is a, okay. a varietal mm-hmm. white, white varietal. Right, right. And uh, we get it off the um, the Bullfrog Vineyard in Central Coast that the Trinquero family owns. Mm-hmm. And we take that up to Napa, and it's got thirteen different herbs and botanicals <clears> in it um, that are cold macerated for forty five to ninety days. And then when you fortify it, we fortify this with uh, dry pale sherry. So that is what's going to add that complex so, body to it. So it starts out as wine. It starts out as wine. And then you add the uh, botanicals and the uh, the flavorings to it. Yep. And and then sherry, you said, is the sherry final, is what, final is compliment. Okay. It, right. So in order for vermouth to be vermouth, you have to have it made with uh, artemisia or flavored with artemisia, Roman wormwood. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things that's very different about um, our vermouth is that we also use chincona bark. Now, the area that the uh, trincheros are from in Italy, um, quinatas were a big thing. And for quinatas, chincona bark is the main ingredient. So they learned to almost create a hybrid vermouth uh, in a way. But, you know, 13 different herbs and botanicals, you're looking at, you know, orris root, cinnamon, lemon peel, um, tansy herb, uh, yarrow flower. There's a lot going into this, a lot of complexity. Um, this is something that, for me, I drink this on the rocks with a twist of lemon. And Interesting. Summertime, it's the fact that this is nothing like what I expected. Exactly. Absolutely exactly. right. Absolutely right. <laughs> exactly. Like, this is good. It's it, it's not anything like what I expected. It's, I want to sit and just, like sip on this while I like watch a movie or something you know what I mean like like it has that sort of vibe to it to me like I would have never thought I would want it straight up is this something you would ever add like bubbly to because so I mean we could like we do cocktails with it with Prosecco you know mm-hmm. yeah I mean it's, bubbly works fine with it I mean that's, yeah, I mean I, I kind of picture this and I'm not all that into making cocktails just because I'm terrible at it but I kind of picture this on ice like you said with with just a little bit of bubbly in it, just to, to give it a little, even with like some suds. some mineral water, yep. a Topo Chico would be would be good, I think, with a with a good fizzy water. Mm. But you know what? Straight like this is. Well, that's good. what I'm I saying. Just never would have expected yeah, this. That's I'm what I'm saying. I would love I would love to pour a little glass of this and just kind of like settle in to like watch a movie there's or a, an episode of a of a show or something. There's you a know? really interesting uh, kind of a. Um, Grapeness to this, yes, but it's not, it's not grapey, but it has a certain grape right. Well, to you know, it, col- you know? French Columbard in general is considered a as a considered a blending varietal. Um, it tends to give a, like a guava mm-hmm. taste to wine, in which I I pick up out of this vermouth a lot. Uh, but that's that when we think of dry, we think of this very astringent mm-hmm. burn. Like well, medicinal but in a bad way. It's not even as dry as uh, a, a, a wine. Correct. Like a red wine would would leave Correct. more uh, dryness on the palate than this does. This is actually, it's actually pretty. 
I well, always want to use the word round. Uh, absolutely. I think you know, round, uh, robust is, are yes. two good words for it. it. There's a little kind of a dried fruit finish on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like dried raisin. Yeah, that's yep. that's because I, I kept on the retro hail. I was like, there's something in there that I recognize, and you nailed it. That's yeah. I was like, what is that? I know it. So this and, is completely different from what I think either of our expectations would. have I had been. no idea. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of delicious, actually. Yeah, kind of. Um, so this is. Uh, tell us again about the specific one we're we're tasting here. So this is the uh, Trinkeri Dry Vermouth. Okay, uh, French Columbard. Fortified mm-hmm. with dry pale sherry, thir- 13 different herbs and botanicals, the two main being Artemisia, or what's known as Roman wormwood, yeah. and uh, chincona bark. Wow. That wormwood leaves a little astringency in the, uh, mm-hmm. in the palate. Right. Is that, is that like the dryness that we speak, a lot of that? Yeah. More than likely. Yeah. What, is, uh, what is something like this comparable to from a proof standpoint? Well, this is seventeen and a half proof, so it's okay. you know it's a higher wine, it's fortified mm-hmm. wine. Um, I would say, I mean, proof wise, probably a Viognier, okay. a white varietal Viognier is okay. usually up near sixteen, seventeen percent. Yeah. And uh, wines at like twelve percent, right? Yeah, twelve. To usually around twelve percent. Mm-hmm. Most beers come in between four and a half to to six and a half, mm-hmm. unless they're really big beers. Yeah, and then most um, uh, most uh, uh, Liqueurs are in the what twenty? Yeah, yeah, twenty five ish percent something. Well, like this that. is this is really fascinating. Now, uh, what is a bottle of this retail for? What's so this average? will retail twenty four ninety nine. So when y'all came to the whiskey uh, Houston mm-hmm. Whiskey Social, where we mm-hmm. had this, we only had had it for a couple months. So mm-hmm. um, village uh, village liquor right now is carrying it. Um, there's some spots in Austin that are carrying it. South Amar Wine and Spirits. Um, Don's Liquor in Cedar Park. So it, really the push is our on-premise kind of awareness to this with mm-hmm. bartenders, mm-hmm. Um, bar staff, uh, really getting it out there for people to taste. Because to your point, vermouth is not something that people really think to go and have a critical eye right. on I, at all. Right. Until this day, I never would have gone, I would like a glass of vermouth. <coughs> right. But right. this is delicious. It like, really this is. This is what vermouth tastes like. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why I expected it to be something with, with like either kind of sickly, sticky, kind of sweet. Well, I think or, that's, you know, what you get out of a lot of the um, uh, sweet vermouths. And when we get into our Rosso, I'll, I'll talk about that. Um, there is a lot of, uh, it seems like, residual sugar that's left in vermouths mm-hmm. uh, to make it a Tolerable, sweeter, more palatable. Sweeter, sweeter yeah. more palatable. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Cover it with sugar. Well, we will get to that uh, definitely, and I'm I'm really interested in tasting the sweet versus this, and seeing what you know, seeing what the differences are in in between those. Um, plus, we still have uh, more to come. As a matter of fact, <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know how this is going to go from a palate standpoint after <laughs> the vermouth, uh, but we do have the uh, the IPA called Pie Assassin from Anchorage Brewing that we are going to be trying. Pie Assassin. Uh, So that's going to be coming up next. Plus, um, I don't know if we're going to have time for this. Ten points of cigar lounge etiquette. These are really good, and and I have a reason for wanting. We've done cigar lounge etiquette before, Ian, but there's a reason I wanted to bring this back around. <laughs> have I been uh, breaking those? Uh, no, no, it's not you. It's not you. <laughs> um, you? I had an experience. That's all. And I, you know, just, <laughs> you uh, so uh, so we'll come back to that, and we'll come back to uh, more vermouth and our special guest uh, Michael Gallagher when we continue. It's smoking and toasting show number one hundred and fifty-two, and we'll be right back.
Welcome back, my friends. It's uh, Smoking and Toasting. Uh, it's show number 152. We are all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. We're brought to you by B&B Butchers and Restaurant, 1814 Washington Ave in Houston, and in the shops at Clear Fork uh, in Fort Worth. So, um, AB InBev, who have, you know, those become crazy guys. those wacky uh, yeah. Those wacky guys that that like to have it both ways. They like to uh, go after the craft beer consumer by buying up craft breweries across the country, and, and they like to insult the craft brewery, yes. uh, the craft brew uh, uh, buy beer for the many. Right, right. Put yeah, him in the yeah. Dilly, dungeon. Dilly, 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 dilly my ass. Yeah. Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, they've got an interesting um, interesting thing in front of them now because they actually own a portion of. What's called the Craft Brew Alliance, uh, and this is not all of the craft breweries that they purchased, like Goose Island and Carbach and some of the others. Uh, this is the Craft Brew Alliance, which is a collective of a number of beers, and they own shares in this. But apparently, they are rapidly approaching the deadline where uh, they will likely buy the rest of the shares. I guess they have. They have coming up is the deadline after which they won't have the right to outright purchase the rest of the shares. So, so let me get this straight. Yeah. AB InBev uh-huh. is poised to own the Craft Beer Alliance. Yeah. Check this out. If this purchase goes down, which most market experts are predicting that it will, and it'll be very soon within the next two weeks, AB InBev, in addition to owning. Goose Island and Wicked Weed and uh, Carbach and Elysian and uh, the number of other breweries that they've already mm-hmm. purchased. They will also now own Kona Ooh. out of Hawaii, mm-hmm. Widmer Brothers out of Oregon, Red Hook out of Washington State and uh, New Hampshire, uh, Winwood Brewing out of Florida, Cisco Brewers out of Massachusetts, an Appalachian Mountain Brewery out of North Carolina, as well as Omission, the ones who do the gluten-free right, right. Uh, beers. All of these are part of the um, are part of the Craft Brew Alliance. AB InBev um, has until I said two weeks. It's not even that long. They have two days from today, the day we're doing the show, until the twenty fourth to make a decision on a predetermined stock buyout. They already own just a little over 31% wow. of CBA. So this is almost certain to happen. All your beer are belong to us. Uh, it's, it's totally true. It's totally true. It's it's I don't know. It's I I you know I'm torn. I'm I'm a capitalist at heart. I believe in um uh, you know, I believe in the rights of these guys to go out and form their breweries and do great stuff and, and you know, sell out, take the golden ticket. I, I don't have a problem with that as it's at its heart. But there's also this other part of me that wants to rage against the machine. You know what I mean? Well, there's it's the craft. I mean, part of the right. part of the pitch and part of the love of I mean, I've I worked in tap houses when I started when I was seventeen. Red Hook, Widmere. I mean, these guys are about Sticking oh. it to the man. Oh, you know? absolutely, right, right. absolutely. Red Hook is, uh, you know, I remember 
uh, from when I lived up in the Boston area because they had, in addition to being from, I think, Washington State originally, they also opened up a second uh, brewery in New Hampshire. And uh, so we would get Red Hook stuff all the time. Their ESB, their ESB, that's oh, the yeah. one that's of the best on the market. It's just fantastic. And there are very few ESBs made. Th- right. That's right. It's not a style you like know? IPA that everybody makes right. but, you know, seven of them. Th- you know, a lot of those breweries that you talked about, Kona, Widmer, Red Hook, um, they introduced craft beer to their states. To their states, absolutely true. And ESB, I mean, people didn't know what extra special bitter was, right? Before them, right? And I don't know. There's just, there's yeah, something Fuller's about was it. One of the only ones that yeah. was actually even making any. Right. That's right. There's something about that it that point, just yeah. makes me like get a knot in my stomach. I have to admit, like I, uh, I don't know. It's this is tough. Well, no, I get it. You know what? Start your brewery, sell it out, whatever. It's I, I and I have no problems with that. I just think that the fact that AB InBev is just swooping them all up so that they can make more money Don't on you have enough already? They're crappy <laughs> Yeah, beer. right, right. You know, and you know, hey, whatever, they're going to make their money. So it's up to the consumer. The problem, the other problem I have too is the underhanded, like, they don't put AB InBev on there. No, of course mm-hmm. not. You know? Yep. No, of course Except not. for Crawford Bach here in Houston, by the way, which is surrounded by Bud Light in my display at the grocery store. Oh, it's is like, it really? It's like seven doors of Bud Light blue, and in the middle of it is all Crawford Bach. Dude, if you if you were shopping at a grocery store that has seven doors of Bud Light blue, that's crazy. You need another grocery it's, store. I, I totally that's a, do. That's I just totally, all I'm telling you because crazy. that's wrong. Look, that's I just stay, wrong. I try and take a picture of it next time if I yeah, think about it. Yeah. But uh, I just find it amazing that that like we said at the beginning of this, this is a company that makes fun of the craft beer drinker, right? For, right. Because it has flavor and it's not. That's for what the, the many. whole dilly dilly thing was about. That whole thing, which they, you know, when they realized that they had something that kind of caught on a little bit, they, you know, they then like drove it into the ground. Absolutely. But the whole purpose of it, you remember, what was it like two many. years ago when we we came on the show and talked about it the first time? It's like I can't believe this. They just bought one of the. Biggest and most influential craft breweries in our town, uh-huh. not to mention all these others, and now they're making fun of you. Like I don't get it, but I do get it. It's it's a marketing thing, uh, but well, I don't, you know but I don't have to like it. You know what they're doing is they're separating themselves as if they're a different, uh, right. a different company, right? And I would say a different brand. And it is true they're a different brand because mm-hmm. a company can have many brands. But why would you, why would you alienate other people to your company? By making fun of your other brands right. to the people who drink this brand. Well, I think the other thing that's happening, too, and I've mentioned this before, is you know the homogenized drinking category, meaning mm-hmm. I drink the same thing every day, right. day in, yeah. day out. Every All time I do I is drink. I go yeah. down and I buy my 12-pack of Bud Light. And I drink that, and then I go down and I buy another twelve pack of Bud Light. And that's all I ever drink. That's all that's mm-hmm, ever in my cooler. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of people that are breaking away from that. That was a one hundred percent. That's why they're buying them up because they're they're cutting into their yeah. profits. Yeah, when they start cutting into that five percent of the market share that they didn't have, right? I, I just think that I just think it sucks, and I, I love the fact that people are wanting to try all these other things. But here's the deception part now. Now AB InBev owns all these. And if you think AB InBev is not influencing those breweries in their ingredients and other things like that, then you are sadly mistaken. 
Because do you think that big company is going to come in and be like, nah, just keep doing what you're doing. We're not changing anything. Yeah, big companies always do that. Yeah, right. I don't yeah. believe that mm-hmm. even for a minute. And so, so now they're selling craft beer made by a macro brew. Right. And a lot of times in the same kettles as or the same uh, uh the same barrels and everything as the uh um uh, same place as the uh macro brews. And they're selling it without saying that we're part of this macro brew company. I mean, yeah. you may know that if you dig in, but it certainly doesn't say it on the label. And if you are a, a craft beer consumer, if you're someone who loves great craft beer, it it really is a give and take. I'll give you a perfect example. I can now get a goose. Good news. I can now get a Goose Island IPA if I go to a concert at uh, NRG Stadium, like the Rolling Stones show that I went to. Right? Yeah. Bad news. Goose Island IPA isn't as good as it used to be. Mm-hmm. It's just not. I'm sorry. I just feel like you know what? If they're going to buy a brewery, on the label of every can should have an Anheuser Busch uh, logo somewhere. Well, certainly. I if, think like that's fair, right? Right. That should well, be like, hey, we're the parent company. They should be proud of it. You'd think. So here's something you but can they know look, better. Yeah. So here's something you can look for. If you see that logo with the upside down bottle, you know that's not owned by. Anheuser Busch or any other larger company, right. because oh, that that little logo is from the Craft Brewing Association, not to be confused with the one uh, uh, with the one there, and uh, that it should be on that Sam Adams, unless that's uh, uh, well, uh, it's probably I, on the twelve actually, pack. Actually, yeah, yeah, probably is. Uh, I was looking to see. There it is. It's on. Here's the the Dream Theater oh, can. Oh yeah, look at that. Um, hey, that let me point that little right logo. That little logo, when you see that, that's a part of the uh, Craft Brewers uh, Association, and you is. can't belong to that if you're big beer. So mm. there you go. So that label makes a difference, but I really do think that the big beer should should be put, and if you're Anheuser-Busch and you're proud to be Anheuser-Busch, you should put Anheuser-Busch on Carbach. You should put Anheuser-Busch on everything they own. Well, it's kind of like, think about it this way. It's like the big, um, the big monstrous machine radio company that buys the cool little rock station the cool little rock station even though they're now owned by the big you know monstrous machine company they're going to still try to keep their identity as separate as possible right because the people who are interested in it aren't going to like it as much if they now, find out that it's a big corporation but now brand. remember those acdc songs and those zeppelin songs that weren't the same three that every other company plays yeah now those aren't allowed to be played. Oh, now well, it's only those three again and in heavy rotation. To your point about the beer. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, all right, since we've talked beer so much, should we go to the pie assassin next? Uh, pie it, assassin. Well, we're we're, go- we're going to go back to the Trincari, um, uh to the vermouth, but I'm wondering, will, is that going to be okay after the beer, or should we go first? No, I think it'll be it fine. Be okay. Yeah. All right, you so you need cups? Yes, I can pass them over. The pie assassin is... Uh, uh, there's not a whole lot of information on it. It's from Anchorage Brewing, which we've had Anchorage uh, beers on before. They're a very well-known, well-respected brewery from Anchorage, Alaska. But on Pie Assassin, I thought the only, it doesn't really say a whole lot about the beer. Uh, I could smell those hops. Oh, uh, yes, for sure. Uh, it doesn't say that much about the beer, but what it does say is on the cans, it says, Watch your back, Gene or Jean. Uh, I don't know which way they intended for it to be. Gene? Yeah, watch your back, back, Gene. Gene. Yeah, I don't know what that means. I don't know. Uh, Anybody that's familiar with Anchorage and knows that, is that the brewmaster's name? Like, where did that come from? That is literally the only thing it says. It's the only thing on there. uh, But as Michael mentioned, you can smell 
the hops on this pretty much immediately, and boy, hops and like banana, like from a mile away. It's got it's got a certain pie uh, sort of a quality to it, actually. Yeah, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's got uh, just from the nose, it has that. I can tell it already is going to have that um, that uh, that resinous kind mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Uh, hoppy pine coney thing going on. No, you know what? I got to tell you, it, it really like doesn't. It, it really doesn't. It's got enough of the juicy to it that it kind of cancels that on the finish. It's like a lemon meringue pie. Yeah, I mm-hmm. I smelled. You know, you're you're absolutely lemon right. Bars. And in fact, that's kind of what if, if you lemon, take a lemon if you take pie. a close up yeah. look at the can, that does look like little lemon meringue pies, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. So they ah. knew what they were doing. Pie assassin. It also, oddly enough, kind of retains that. You know, when beer's being made, you get that wort smell in yes, the brewery. Yes, it, it yes, maintains yes. that. Which is not a bad thing, actually. I really no, that smells great. I love yeah. it when you're even close to a yes. brewery and it starts smelling so, that smells so, so good. What was I, what was I saying earlier in the show about lemon meringue? Oh, I was saying uh, lemon like a lemon meringue whiskey. Yeah, that wouldn't right. work. No, but, th- but this lemon meringue beer actually lemon meringue IPA is is working pretty well. Yeah, but you're not getting any of that resinous stuff, are you, Ian? There's a little bit of it in the bitter, but there's kind of a sweetness that lays right over top of mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. and it's interesting because the way it hits the palate. Like you get that bitter when you swallow, but the bitter's kind of in the middle, and then it's followed up by a little bit of sweetness, which just rounds it right off. So this has some so of it doesn't that, leave a lingering. Bitterness, yes. So you know? this has some of that juicy, hazy IPA vibe yeah. to it. But what makes it very different from most of those that I've tasted is it doesn't go citrus, it doesn't go mango, it doesn't go pineapple. It goes meringue, <laughs> lemon yeah, meringue. That's... Yeah. It's very interesting. It's I, so weird how I it's love bitter it. and then just and then the sweetness just. And flows see, right I love that you. because I, I love that bitter uh, taste in beer, but I don't always like it on the finish, on the aftertaste. You know, depending on, you know, what the. Well, beer I don't is. like it if it leaves me stuck with it. Right. You know that right. feeling of like ah now I got this. You ever mm. have you ever have y'all ever had um, mm. Green Flash Palette Wrecker? I'm familiar. I feel like we've I, done Green Flash Palette. I drank Palette Wrecker. <laughs> And then I drank four or five other IPAs, and I could still taste, still taste the oh, yeah. thus, Still taste Thus it. the name, I guess. Yeah, it yeah. was aptly named. Thus the name. Huh, fascinating. Well, uh, I'm going to give this a big thumbs up. I like this a lot. Uh, I, you know, I'm going to give it a thumbs up because it's so darn interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that, like, I'm not big on IPAs in general. We know so this. I don't know that this would be a go-to, but it's so darn interesting. I'm loving like, it. Like, I, I, I kind of want to drink some more of it. I don't know if I'd go for a second glass, but I'd probably enjoy a glass of it. What's the ABV on that one? The six point um, six point eight six point four nine six point four. Okay, yeah, very interesting. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a big IPA thumbs up. You I'm know, the IPA I, guy. The more I drink it, the more I like it. I think that's the theme today, like mm-hmm. with the, with the beers, because mm-hmm. the other beer was like that too. It's like at first it was like mm, maybe, well, and then the more I drink it, the more I like it. This I was kind of that way with way. the vermouth too. The more I drink it, the more I like it. I, you know, in the in the driver mousse uh, defense, I kind of like that right from the first sip. Yeah, yeah. The sweet enough. vermouth I can smell and have been smelling since well, you poured and, this. And we've got this poured already, so this is... Uh, this is what I pictured, by the right. way. This is more what your expectations were. When, when we yeah. say vermouth. This is right. exactly. at least based on... Uh, right, so, you know, like we were talking about earlier, Carpano Antica really brought back vermouth. There's that really raisiny thing. I'm sorry. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, you got a lot of baking spice where... Much, much, yeah. yes. Yeah, so you're going to, you know, this is... Um, so this is made... So we call our vermouth Rosso. And in order for to call a vermouth Rosso, uh, it has to be made with an Italian varietal. 
So okay. we make ours with uh, Barbera and with Chardonnay. Um, Barbera we get out of uh, Amador County, which is foothills of the Sierras, mm-hmm. and the Chardonnay wine that we use comes out of Napa. Um, it's fortified with brandy, and it's got 19 different herbs and botanicals. Again, Artemisia or Roman wormwood, chincona bark. This one you're going to have, you know, ginger root. You're going to have whole clove. You're going to have cinnamon, nutmeg. So much more herbaceous, robust. Mm-hmm. But you have that sweetness. You know, one of the things that um, I've heard uh, Bob Tr- Bob Trincaro say about um, vermouth is that it should be a medley across the palate. You should get sweetness. You should get bitterness. You should get herbaceousness. But then sweetness should come back into it. And with our Rosso, you definitely get that. It's um, for making classic cocktails like a Boulevardier. It has just good balance that can work with bourbon or rye that you're using. I mean, as we know, ryes have a real spicy character to mm-hmm. them. This works really well mm-hmm. with rye. Bourbon has a sweeter character. Works really well with bourbon. So mm-hmm. having mm-hmm. that having that ability so it has to, that that versatility. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, interesting. Well, this is. Um, to me, this smells very Italian, if that makes sense. Yeah, I the can go with that. The smell makes me think of like the wormwood. Is, right, yes. The wormwood is strong in this one mm-hmm. uh, compared to the other one. <laughs> the, the wormwood I is sense, strong, young Skywalker. Wormwood in this one. <laughs> the wormwood is strong with this one. Uh, uh, no, this is this is much bigger and much more obvious, especially on the uh, on the end of the palate, on the aftertaste. Uh, the the baking spice is huge. This. This tastes like that the time between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a mm-hmm. great! I really like that. Like that's what this tastes yeah. like. Um, it's holiday season, very much so. And I can see many drinks being made with this, and and not to mask these flavors, but to enhance these flavors. Well, you know right. what's interesting? Oh, yeah, sorry yeah. about that. What's interesting is again how palatable the whole thing is. How how easy it is to, you know, I, I find myself. Saying the same thing I said about the dry, which I did not think I would necessarily say about vermouth, which is I'd love to just have a little glass of this to just sit and sip on for a while. All right, now, yeah, forgive you know? my inner ignorance here, but I have a friend who uh, mulls wine, and this has some of those same. And maybe it's mm-hmm. the, spices That's the spi- it's spices. That's yeah, exactly yeah. what it is. This has a lot of those same characters. Those baking yes. spice right, uh, yeah, right. sort of uh, uh, sensations. And, yeah. and the smell of, like, I, I, I was sitting here trying to go. I smell that raisiny. I smell those spices. Like, what does that remind me of? It reminds me of, like, every Christmas or right. holiday I go over to his house. Reminds me of Mama's Kitchen. He's got the pot on the stove, and he's making yeah, his mold wine. Right, yeah. right. And, you're, and that's just giving off that's, that aroma yeah, the, it, that takes the whole house and there's, over, there's right? there's a lot of... Uh, um, but the other thing it makes me think of is there's a lot of uh, potpourris that are made to smell mm-hmm. right. very similar to right. this. This is, this is very authentic. I will say this. This is interesting. I bet it's great in a lot of drinks. Um... I like the dry vermouth by itself. Right. This right. one, I can appreciate what it's doing. I think uh, you want it in a cocktail. I think I want to try it in a cocktail or right. some other ways that cut the intensity well, a this, little bit. Yeah. This has an awful lot of different flavor profiles going on to add to that cocktail. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you, yeah. like you could change some other. Um, uh, some other spirits up dramatically by Correct. adding a little bit of this. I can see this doing this with a uh, with a not so juniper heavy gin, and adding a splash of of this to just give it a lot of liveliness to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this would, if you put this in a gin martini, 
would become the flavor of the martini entirely, and actually right. not be a, I think a, a bad thing either because it would the gin would probably cut this enough to spread the uh, the interesting flavors out a little bit yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, you know, well, I've I've made martinis with uh, with a splash of vermouth, and I've made them without, which are the ones that I like to call really, really cold vodka or really, really cold gin, <laughs> uh, because that's essentially what they are. Without going, uh, I mean, unless you're well, making like a chocolate it, martini me, or something right, like that. Right, but, right. but if you're just making a regular martini with a lemon twist or a regular dirty, the only thing you're adding is that little twist of lemon or that uh, that little bit of olive juice, unless you're putting some vermouth in there. I, I'm going to brag on my uh, linguistic skills for a minute, but I think martini directly translates into big-ass shot. <laughs> I think I think you may be right. Oh, and I I, I found out something else. Uh, in Spanish, the the way you say martini is la martini. Oh, yeah. So you may want to, you know, you sir, <laughs> you're catching up on the linguistics here. Very good. I, you know, this show covers a lot of territory. It's not just spirits and cigars and beers. It's you know, well you now it's for linguistics. Move. Yes, that's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, and and you're the first vermouth that we've tried on the show, and it, this so, is really interesting. Uh, I, you know, I just tried the uh, <coughs> bourbon after yeah. trying the vermouth, and it brings out so much more of the traditional bourbon flavors mm-hmm. after you try this. But I'm going to try something interesting here because uh, don't get said, too crazy. I don't know if we can handle this. You said it would go with uh, bourbon, so I'm going to put just a splash in there and see what happens. I I would try that, but I actually don't have any of the. What happened? It used to be cool, Cruz. <laughs> You've changed. <laughs> yes, I have. You got the sound effects going. It was on right there. about the time I ran out of the bourbon. <laughs> uh, all right, so you you dripped a little bit in there. What do you think, sir? It adds a level of complexity to the bourbon that's that's a little crazy. Actually, it's pretty interesting. Well, I've just gone back. So I, I didn't see, mix like, them, but I've just this, gone back and forth. This together with a splash of mm-hmm. ice and maybe a little suds would be pretty amazing just by itself. Yeah. I think you described it really well when you said if you go from the um, the Rosso um, Vermouth and you go back to the bourbon, you get that more traditional bourbon fl- the more traditional bourbon flavors are what comes through. Less of the um, sort of uh, creamier honey type flavor, more of just that traditional uh, uh, bourbon, I, it's really interesting. It makes the aroma of the bourbon really interesting as well. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it adds like just multiple layers, and I only put a tiny splash in there. But it you adds, know what it smells like? What's it that? smells like uh, the the wrapper on a cigar. The out the out mm. smells like that dry tobacco. Uh, it does have a little bit of. It has a very. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's, uh, they're like like musty's not the word. It's like when you walk into a humidor, dank. A little bit like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it has that kind of really nice. Yeah, I think you're, I think I agree with that. All right, I tell you what, I don't know how this is going to work because we've kind of gone to the four corners of of the palette here <laughs> with with the, the with this show. Today. We are all over the place today, but when we come back, we're going to be trying. A raspberry Belgian imperial stout. Well, that's not totally different or anything. No, not at all. So I don't know how this is even going to work, but we'll come back to it. Uh, Forefathers Brewing Raspberry Heavy Hitter. 
their Belgian-style Imperial Stout uh, coming up. And all right, we'll very quickly do the 10 points of Cigar Lounge etiquette because there's someone out there that needs to hear these. Why are you staring at me? Oh, no, it's not you. It's <laughs> not he just you. wants to tell his experience, which you. I'm curious yeah. about. Is it because so, I just chew the end off my cigars? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my favorite. Or I lick the entire cigar lick to the make entire it cigar. moist. And, and then when you're about to leave, about. you walk over to where other people are sitting, and you smash your cigar out in the ashtray. Uh, and just yeah. keep smashing. Yeah, and just keep yeah. smashing, yeah. All right, we'll be right back with uh, those 10 points and uh, a little... A, a little imperial stout. Why are you I'm excited like that? I brought my own cigar. On the beach in Hawaii. Welcome back. It is smoking and toasting episode number one hundred and fifty-two. We are, are uh, live in the studio. Michael Gallagher from Trincaro uh, Spirits is here. And by the way, I have to give huge props to how relatively smoothly the show has gone today. And when I say relatively, it's because anytime it's you and me, there's going to be you know, some <laughs> things, kind of hiccups. Things happen. Right. But uh, but Caitlin, is, uh, Caitlin Doyle is our uh, uh, engineer today on the Wheels of Steel. Mm-hmm. Normally it's our boy Adam, but he is off, you know, in the sailing the South Seas with his lovely wife. Uh, so it's, it's the first time, I think, since Adam started. That we've done a show without Adam. Right, yeah. So uh, so anyway, Caitlin's done a great job. Thank you, Caitlin. Appreciate it. Everything has uh, gone amazingly smoothly. So she's not the regular. So she's not the regular. No, she's... I uh, didn't know. Yeah, see? Uh, there you go, Caitlin. Best props you could get. You know, we could tell a little difference on the wheels of steel. Her beats, her vibes are a little different, you know, yes. uh, but not in a bad way. Not in a bad way. Just different. Just different. Just, just like DJ Tiesto and Diplo have different styles and beats to them. I just threw out DJ names because I wanted to see you gloss over. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's just talk cigar lounge etiquette real quick before we go to the heavy hitter. Okay. Um, so the first thing I do yeah. <laughs> is pull up and take two parking spots in front of the cigar lounge. Excellent. Like kind of can a corner across right. both of them. Yeah. Because I don't want anyone to scratch my How car. How does the parking lot attendant uh, deal and with then, you do that? When I walk inside, right? Yeah, I smoke a clove cigarette. Okay, always a good idea. <laughs> and then I pull out my own cigar out of my pocket mm-hmm. that somebody gave me six months ago, and I didn't keep in a humidor. <laughs> then do you ask for a cutter? And then I asked them to cut it and light it for me. No. First you have to lick the end, and then you oh, ask yeah. them to cut it and light it. No, I don't need a cutter. I'm just going to chew yeah. the end off. And also uh, I'm going to lick the whole cigar because mm-hmm. it has to stay moist. <coughs> yeah. So um, All of these things I've seen before, by the way. Mm-hmm. Well, I was on the website of a uh, cigar lounge in uh, Stafford, Virginia, the Embassy Cigar Lounge. I've never been there. Uh, but they had they were kind enough to post 10 points of cigar etiquette uh, in a blog post on the website. Now, let me say this. We've done this on the show before. We've been over yes, cigar cigar lounge etiquette. We did it with a different list. Uh, but I, I thought it was time to revisit it because apparently apparently not all of the, the points, not all of the finer points of this have made it out to the it people who may need to know. It didn't make it to the wider public. Yes, yes. So, all right. So here are the 10 points. We'll go through them real quick. Uh, number one, don't be a conversation snatcher. Uh, if you walk into a lounge where a conversation's taking place, don't try to change it. That's being a conversation snatcher. If the people are already there discussing something, 
go with the flow yeah. or wait Join or wait until or the wait until it changes. Or wait until the appropriate. Yep. Um, uh, number two, don't be the minds better guy. Uh, uh, cigar smoking, yeah. Cigar smoking is a matter of taste. Whether you prefer, you know, um, an, an avo campesino or a cognac dip novelty cigar, uh, it, it, it doesn't matter. It's taste. If people are going to enjoy what they're going to enjoy. You don't have to point out yeah. why yours is better because it's it's, it's not a competition, right? Enjoy it's your cigar. not a competition. That's perfect. If you're safe. there for other people to enjoy your cigar, don't go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number three, Stay at home. number three, know your audience. Uh, keep it. Uh, in other words, keep it. You know, keep it clean. At least until you know the people that are there, you don't want to talk. You don't want to walk in. You don't want to say something offensive. You don't want to like destroy the mood of the place until you at least know what's going on and know what you can maybe. I, okay, I want to. I want to point with. something out. There's an inherent problem with that particular okay. piece of etiquette. Mm-hmm. Is the people that do that never know that they're the people that do that. So I want to point this out. If you have never seen somebody do that. You are that person. Right. Don't go to a right. cigar that's, lounge. No, that's absolutely, you, it's, a, it's a really, really good point. And look, sometimes you don't mean to, right? You, you may float something out there and you go, oh, that didn't go over that, that well. That was a bomb. Well, don't stay with it. Yes. You know? Apologize don't, don't, and move am on. Am I right? right. Am I right? <laughs> that's all right. Am I right? Uh-huh. Exactly. Exactly. No, you're not. Uh, uh, here's an am I right. Don't tell people how to smoke. Uh, cigar smokers all have their That's habits, right. right or wrong, but you will irritate the hell out of people if you're telling them, oh, you're, cutting, you're I, cutting that too low. I always light my you cigar sh- in the middle of it. You shouldn't bite the cap or, or, uh, shouldn't bite the uh, cap. or, oh, no, you're only supposed to toast the foot. Don't let it hit the foot. You know, don't be that guy. Seriously. Don't be that. Not in that space. That's not the place you want to do that. No. I'm just saying. No, that's when you know somebody. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this. Buy from the shop where you're smoking. Yes. It's just common courtesy. Come on, people. You know? The, uh, uh, the only exception I can give to this is if you are a person who rents a box and you've bought, brought stuff up from your box, from home, and put it in your box, your humidor, at the... Cigar lounge. Yeah, you know, then maybe you could be forgiven I, for going to your know. box. But I, still, I, if there's maybe a one or two special cigar, but yeah. I wouldn't like bring like three boxes that no, I bought I, online. Right. No, yeah. you you don't want to go get the stuff yeah. you bought at Thompson Cigar and you know, stock right. your your humidor with it. I it's, agree. Hey, cigar lounge that I that I belong to back in my hometown. Uh, the owner, his whole thing was, you know, you can bring in your own cigar, but you know, buy some wine, buy a beer, like support right. the shop. Well, it's it's different if like you bring in a cigar that wasn't bought there, but you're like, hey man, this was a cigar that somebody gave me for my right. birthday. It's a Padron, you know, 45th anniversary. Right, right. That's what about a that's Swisher a, Sweet? That's different. Yeah. Okay. Swisher <laughs> Sweets. Let's talk about Swisher Sweets. Yeah. Uh, anyway. You know, basically think of it this way: if you're bringing in cigars that you bought elsewhere and smoking them in the cigar lounge, it's like taking money from 100%. the cigar store's pocket. And if you enjoy having the lounge to smoke in, the least you can do is buy a $7 cigar from their humidor My, to smoke while you're there. I, I'm the a least little amazed do. that that even comes up as an issue, it, though. I tell well, you, well, you'd I be amazed that people think it's okay. I've, like, seen, people, I've seen a dozen of these lists. That is on every one of people, them. I, like, I've just, like, in my mind, I picture someone walking, hey, I just got my new shipment from CI, and they're stocking <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what? 
<laughs> like, in what world is that You're okay? in there smoking a JR alternative, you know? That's right. <laughs> well, it, it goes back to hey, what? It's the Point alternative number... to the uh, Dunhill. <laughs> Point right? number two. Yeah. Know, right. know your audience. Know, know your room. audience. That's right. That's right. Um, uh, the next one is let the staff members do their jobs. This is this. I thought this was good. I haven't seen this on another list before. Uh, cigar shops. There they are. Social centers. That does include the staff. You can't help but get to know your cigar guy or girl at your, you know, local place. But seriously, they're there to help customers and sell cigars and lighters and accessories. So, um, you know, the first priority for them is the job. So don't over-occupy their time. Well, I want to point out not only that, but don't act like you work there. Oh, that's a good I've one. I've seen good. that happen. That's not when, on here, but that's a, a customer, good one. tries, like, in the middle of uh, uh, the, the employee helping somebody, a customer comes in and starts telling them a bunch of stuff, which in some cases has nothing to do with the shop or mm-hmm. about cigars that they don't have at the shop or things like I've seen this happen in tons of stores. Yeah. Yeah, which is really awkward. And In like, fact, I'm sorry that don't gets do that. that gets right to the next one, which is don't become the shop's unofficial consultant. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you there know? you go. Uh, yeah, complainers are bad enough, but it's even worse when the advice is offered from a, a perspective of unfounded expertise. Uh, nobody wants to hear this shop will be so much better if you know that that gets old after a while. So, uh, if you want to go to a shop that doesn't have a television, find one. You know, yeah. uh, whatever it uh, uh, this thinking extends to the inventory policies on outside food and drink, all of that. It, it, if that one doesn't work for you, find another one. Yeah. There's a lot of them out there. There's a lot of them out there. Uh, have fun is uh, is one of the basic rules. Uh, it takes a lot of work to uh, uh, if it takes a lot of work to behave, even just the basics. You might want to consider whether you even leave the house in the morning. Uh, if you're if you're going out to the cigar lounge, your local shop, light up, have a cigar, and enjoy. That's why the lounge seating is available. Okay, so now I'm going to go back to the one I skipped. <clears throat> Talk on the phone uh. somewhere else. <laughs> oh yeah. Now it's one thing if you get a call and you want to like deal with it quickly and and move on. I I believe that's that's just a fact of of life. If you're sitting in the uh, in the cigar lounge, and I call you to ask you a quick question about what we're doing on the show or whatever, and you deal with that and 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 you know a moment and hang up. I th- I think that's okay, but it's not cool to sit and have a long conversation on the phone in the cigar lounge. I mean, just just go All outside right. or go out to L- go out to the other room. Because I I go up to the cigar lounge to do cigar reviews and stuff like that. And sometimes I get calls mm-hmm. and sometimes I'm on the phone. Now I don't do that. If there's a bunch of other people in the lounge. Right. If there's one other person way on the far side of the lounge mm-hmm. and I'm speaking quietly, I think that's okay. Right. So I think there's a little bit of etiquette to that, you know. But the guy, and there's always yes, the guy. there's always the guy. Uh, that's talking. Of- oh, my favorite is he has it on speakerphone oh, yeah, and yeah. is speaking loudly as he holds it up by his face. Yeah. And figures that we all want to hear his conversation. I actually will say something to that person. So I, I would I would go even a step further. It's stop trying to impress yes. the other people in the cigar lounge with how 
important your business conversation is. Man, I is. hope those of you listening to this could hear the air quotes because those are huge. Man, I, I'm going to tell you, I sat inside, and it's a wonderful place to smoke. You know um, uh, you know it well at uh, Casa de Monte Cristo oh, yeah. uh, Cigar Lounge. Uh, went in. Ken was there. My, our buddy Ken mm-hmm. went. Uh, bought, uh, bought a couple of cigars. They snipped one for me. I went back, sat, had my iPad. I was just ready to, like, do a little reading and smoking. And this guy gets on his phone and apparently... I don't know. He's some kind of purchasing consultant, or was looking for a client, or I don't know. It was it was so overblown when he started telling the guy. And this is about twenty five minutes into the conversation, by the way. That's how long it went on. When he started telling the guy on the other end, "Yep, I think we should buy a tequila," and he wasn't talking about a bottle. He was talking about buying a company. I was like, I got up and left. Like I couldn't stand him trying to impress everyone in there with how important he was that he and his business partners were going to go out and buy a tequila. It's like, dude, I've been listening to you talk for 25 minutes. I bet you don't know what good tequila tastes like if it smacked you in the face. So, yeah. uh, so you know, good luck with that. But, but seriously, stop trying to impress everybody. Just go, be friendly, have fun, but or, or, or put earplugs in. I, I so wished I had brought my earbuds, which I didn't. Well, you know, it just it just sucks that you know. So first thing people do when they get on the phone is they don't talk like this. They start talking like this. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah totally. And that's even worse, and by the way, for the people who okay use the, in a the Bluetooth room of earpiece. people who are all sitting there doing their yeah. own thing. Yeah. Like when has that ever been okay? When has it there ever are a been lot of cool. people that absolutely don't see it. Like they You're don't get it. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And ear earbuds have made that even worse. If you're talking about being on the phone on the earbuds, so. Um, in the future, we're all going to have implanted earbuds because it's going to be the only way to drown out the other people talking on theirs. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm. That's what I'm convinced of. So, anyway, so just a basic review of cigar lounge etiquette. I think it's, I think it's important. Cigar lounges are the most. Honestly, if you're a cigar smoker, they're one of the coolest things there is. They are, yep, to be I able agree. to sit down, watch the TV or not watch the TV. You know. Join a conversation or don't. And nobody looking at you to put and it out. And nobody looking at you to put it out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. In fact, if anything, somebody looking at you going, hey, what are you smoking? You yeah. know? Uh, that That's fun stuff. That's fun stuff. All right. Oh, I like I like <laughs> All those see, sounds. That's kind of the, that's our version of the mic drop is what yeah, that is. There you go. That's our version of the mic drop. So You know, so in a cigar lounge, <laughs> I find if you're going to hang out in a cigar lounge, there are a few things. You know, I walk in. First off. If I can find a corner where there's not a TV playing, that's where I'll sit. Because mm-hmm. right. I don't want to – like a TV is something that distracts me and I stare at it, and especially if no one's watching it at all. You mean – And you, it's there. You don't need to know who has a left tibia fracture on the Philadelphia Eagles? That's right. I mean, if there's if – there's <laughs> How could you not need to know that? If there's literally no one watching it, I just turn it off and no one complains. But I'll always ask, hey, is anybody listening or watching this, you know, most of the time? Well, Whatever. Or there's multiple TVs anyway, so. Oh, so um, I'm just going to say as we, as we begin to take in the nose on this uh, uh, raspberry heavy hitter, that I'm glad we took a little time to let the palate clear, because this smells like it's going to be wonderful. It smells this, like a big old raspberry pie. I don't even care about cigar etiquette anymore. <laughs> <laughs> really? So I can just this come is, over to your house and this just, is, just you haven't smell yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> Smell my finger. Um, <laughs> you, haven't, you haven't tasted this yet, but this is brutal. Smell the glove. Um, 
This is absolutely All right, so explain brutal. what you mean by brutal. This is so over the top and ridiculous, <laughs> and I absolutely love it. Okay. You this know what's is... funny is I don't think you're going to take taste raspberry. I think you're only going to smell raspberry. There's, uh, I'm there's, getting a little, but it's that it's raspberry seed though. It's the the more bitter side of the yeah. raspberry and raspberry well, yeah, seed. Or do you know like when you have like a raspberry infused piece of chocolate? chocolate that's yeah, yeah, that's that's what it reminds me of, as opposed yeah. to just a raspberry. And there's chocolate and there's coffee in there and there's, mm. and it's huge mouthfeel. Like this is, this is, <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine. Handing a sip of this to someone who drinks Bud Light all the time. Which was like a, a, a crappier newbie. Like, yeah, this would right. be so, so wrong for mm-hmm. them. I, you know, though, you might get them. You might get them. Like, that this it, is so different. That it's so different and it's all these flavors. Because, I mean, everybody that drinks Bud Light likes chocolate. You know? Well, this <laughs> I mean, that's, that's an obvious thing. This is chocolate. It's espresso. It's raspberry. Yeah. It's uh, mm. it's a little a bit of dried one. fruit. The but it's espresso not, finish on it with raspberry. It's, mm. a, it's a little bit of dried fruit, but it's not that heavy sort of date raisin um, no, thing that can, that can come that up in all. some of it's, these. It's yeah. definitely fruit, but not date Which raisin I like. fruit. Yeah. And the retro hail on this is pure raspberry jam. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, it is yeah. like raspberry preserve just right there. What can you tell us from the bottle, Ian? I didn't really have a chance to look over that bottle the way I might have Raspberry Heavy Hitter, Belgian-style imperial stout with raspberry. Mm, do mm, they make mm. the heavy hitter that's not with raspberry, or is that— I think they do. As a matter of fact, I looked at the correct, website yes. earlier because I sent them a, a thing letting them know, hey, we're going to try your beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and all these people—you know, I send out a, uh, an email every week saying, hey, we're going to review your beer at this time. Please share it out, you know. Everyone has such a wonderful response to that. That's awesome. It's so, it's so nice. You know, that's yeah. really cool. That would be, and they, um, but I was on their website, and they make the heavy hitter, which is the uh, stout, uh, without the raspberry. And so this is what the raspberry added. There's not a whole lot of information uh, going on. Forefathers would, Brewing. It's a pretty it simple be, label. It would be very interesting to taste this without the raspberry. So obviously, if you're in the, um, uh, if you're in their area, they're from. Uh, Valparaiso, Indiana. If you're in their area, you're going to probably have had a chance to taste the regular Independent um, Brewers mm-hmm. Association tag. I right? love knowing yep. that little fun fact. Yes, that yes. is a really cool fun uh-huh. fact. Right there. Uh, but but I, I can't imagine separating this from the raspberry. The raspberry to me is such a I can an integral part of the flavor of this. I beer. can see. I, I'm going to project that that the way this beer would taste without the raspberry is like heavy coffee. Yes, and uh, and it's bitter, bitter chocolate, and all of the things in this are delicious. The like, raspberry puts this little tangy, well, it's, uh, it's, sort of sweetness in it. It's though, funny because you smell wonderful. the raspberry. But it's not at the beginning of the palate at all. The raspberry happens like in the middle to the end of the palate. Yes. And then as the retro hail, when you just exhale gently out of your nose, I mean, it's all raspberry jam. That's just crazy. i got to tell you, Ian, this is one of the best stouts I think I've ever had. This is wonderful. This is absolutely outstanding. And it delightful. really is. What's you talk ABV? about... You talk it doesn't about, say, actually. It doesn't have ABV on here. You talk about complex. This may be one of the most complex beers there's so much going on. I'm feeling like this is not ridiculous ABV though. I'm feeling like this is probably in the seven or eight percent. Right. It doesn't feel real boozy, but I could be wrong on that and, too. Uh, you know, you you get you put that imperial moniker on there. Right. It's the sneaker. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> right. well, it, it, it is. Watch, no. watch, watch me get a text yeah. back that it's like <laughs> it's like sixteen. <laughs> yeah, it's like sixteen percent or something mm. like that. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it doesn't say. 
No, it doesn't say on there at all. Huh. I would imagine if it were 16, it would say. This is so you know good. It's really delicious. Like, oh my gosh. And I can't believe we waited. You know, I, Not that we waited. I can't believe that we had the palate to appreciate it with the left turns that we've taken from a, a flavor uh-huh. standpoint. Yeah, we have definitely been all over show. the place. You know, so, though, there is, more a, so. there's a constant flavor theme in throughout all of these. Okay, there's okay. A, there's yeah. a lot of baking spice, a lot of yeah, mm-hmm. dessert, a lot of, you know, all those things. I think if you were, like, so far off. You know, we talked a few weeks ago about, you know, there's been so many articles coming out about how um, people are drinking less, there's more people, like, not drinking at all. And it's it's things like we've been able to taste today that are why I enjoy doing this so much. It's not. It's really not about, you know, getting buzzed or getting wasted. It's about how much I enjoy the feeling of tasting these finely crafted spirits mm-hmm. and and beers and cigars for that matter and then being able to like share like what what do you get? Like what do you what do you what are you getting out of this? What flavors are you picking up on? Right. And and sometimes you'll mention one, and I'll go. That's what that is. I mean, yeah. there it's an it's like an exploration process. Well, that's here's a thought. so enjoyable. Here's a thought to consider, which may be self evident after I say it, because um, you said, well, it's not all about getting buzzed or wasted. Okay, we all enjoy getting a little buzz and having a little fun with it, right? Mm. Um, what? But let's take that outside of that. Why do you like bacon? <laughs> because it's delicious. Why do you like chocolate? Because it's delicious. Do you get buzzed or wasted? Well, some people might argue that you do on chocolate, but no, no. But I think okay. But I think so, there is a certain but amount also, of why do you like beer? There's a certain amount because of good it's delicious. feeling, right? But there's a certain amount of good feeling that goes with eating a great piece of bacon or uh, drinking a great beer that isn't about intoxication on a chemical level, right? But maybe about what happens in the brain when you taste something that you really enjoy. I so mean, how, think about it. How, think is, about it. It's, how is drinking a beer or a spirit any different from what you just described? Well, because it does have the chemical But that happens alcohol. after. Right. It, right. it doesn't happen when you drink. I'm talking about the immediate when oh, yeah, you taste absolutely. it. You, know, you're 100% you don't right. sit down and eat. A steak dinner because it gives you a buzz. You eat a steak dinner because it tastes good. You don't sit down and drink a beer like this because it gives you a because buzz. Because you're you looking to get a buzz. It tastes right. good. Right. This I is agree. not a 12 pack of Miller no. Lite 100%. that you sit down and try to you know have at the game with a bunch of buddies and like and get to the here watch you know hold my beer and watch this stage. Right. This Did you is, get buzzed off Bud Light? I didn't. I don't know if there's any. Alcohol. That's why I said a twelve pack. <laughs> a twelve pack. Yeah. So those eighteen packs that they have come in right. handy for that. That's why uh, this is not a beer that you sit down and go, "Hey, buddy, we're gonna drink a bunch of this Imperial mm-hmm. Stout all night." Mm-hmm. What you do though is I call up a buddy like Ian and I go, "Hey, come over. I want to open this. Let's let's try. That, it. Let's drink it that's together." That's a totally different and that, process. But that is. One of the most, you know, you talk about cigar lounges, and one of the reasons cigar lounge etiquette is important can be because of the friendship and the social connection Correct. that you make with people there. This is the same thing. Sharing a bottle of this with a buddy uh, or with a brother or a cousin or your wife or a loved one, like that's, that's special time. That's mm-hmm. what this is all about. We've just gotten to the essence 
of what this is all about. Look at all the conversation on us. I think that the people that listen to us, though, get it. Because otherwise they wouldn't be listening to us. I think so. it wouldn't matter. So before we wrap up, uh, huge above and beyond props to Caitlin, who's our on the wheels of steel engineer. She absolutely killed it today. She's gone above and beyond. She just showed me that this... Uh, also, I slipped her a 20 to give me more face time than you. <laughs> oh, did you really? Okay. Well, then I, I take back all those uh, props. But I will tell you, I will tell you that... Uh, that she did just show me uh, from the website, uh, our, our stout that we're drinking is, uh, was 9.3 or 9.8? 9. 9.8. 9. 9.8. Ah, okay. 9.8. See, it's been long enough now that I forgot. 9.8. So now we know. Uh, and you know what? That seems about right. I mean, for, for what I'm getting out of this. It's not like way boozy. But it's definitely yeah, it's pretty boozy. But it's not. definitely not like yeah. But it doesn't really taste all that boozy, you know. Yeah. Let's put it this way: if you had brought in three beers today, this is the one we would have opened with, right? Because it would have been because it would have been the lightest one of of the group. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Ian's Ian's not allowed to bring all the beers for the right. show anymore. Right. It's just uh, Belgian yeah, triples, yeah, doubles, yeah, yeah. quads. He, he opens he opens with twelve percent and keeps going. <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, like, but no, I, I will I like say this beers. is this is a delicious. Delicious beer, and uh, I'm not as familiar with Four F O U R Forefathers Brewing, uh, but we'll make sure we give you guys a, uh, a link to that in the uh, in the notes on the show because uh, that may be a place you want to check out. Oh, absolutely! Uh, that's that's delicious. Where are they located? Um, uh, in in Indiana. Val- Indiana. I don't know if I even say this right because so good. Uh, Valparaiso is that how you s- Val Valparaiso? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go with you on that one. Okay. It's in Indiana, so uh, you can forgive me if I uh, don't know. I know where Indianapolis is, and that's about it. <laughs> Fort Wayne. Indianapolis, Fort Wayne. That's right, it. right. My Indiana knowledge stops there. My ex-wife lives in Indiana. I'm I'm uh, legally forbidden from uh, finding out any more about the state than I currently know. <laughs> so... So, uh, listen, what what a great show this has been. I I want to tell you um, how, you know, the vermouth is a whole other conversation, but how impressed I was with the uh, Amador, the, the bourbon. Just really delicious. Fascinated about going back to that and tasting that again. And then the vermouth, this was a whole new world, I think, for uh, for Ian and myself. I was uh, glad I could be so a part good. of that. Yeah, it was, and and you must get to do that a lot. I'm I guessing, do. It's, it's because phenomenal. it's a yeah yeah. It's, it's so it's much cool fun. Thing. So much uh, fun. So um so obviously you've got a number of different spirits in your portfolio as well as uh, tons of great wine. Um, is is this the part you enjoy the most? One hundred percent. Anytime I get to sit and educate and talk about our products is, you know, I mean this is what like we talked about. This is what mm-hmm. it's about. It's about the connection. It's about you know, cracking open a cracking open a bottle, having a discussion, creating new friendships, um, and you know, really, you get to a lot of. I mean, I've said this a number of times in my life. I've opened up horrible bottles with the greatest company, and I have the greatest memories. Mm-hmm. I've likewise opened the greatest bottle with the worst company. Oh. And never want to look at that bottle again. Yeah. Oh, and it's and it, and it's why things like these cigar lounge etiquette right, things are important exactly. because it does have a lot to do with the enjoyment level yep. of, of of all of these things. And and you know something like I mean this was a relatively expensive bottle. You want to if you're going to spend that kind of money on a bottle, you want to enjoy right. that experience of the person or persons mm-hmm. that you wind up uh, wind up sharing it with. Yeah. Um, what is uh, I, I'm, first of all thrilled that we were able to meet you at the Houston Whiskey Social. Uh, were did you have the um, 
the vermouth there, or did you just add no, the whiskey? No, we, we actually did add the vermouth. Um, okay. See, because uh, I didn't try it, which is like, right. see, that's my loss now, because had I tried it, I'd have stood there having this experience that much earlier. You I know? think the, the fun part about it was uh, when I talked with... Uh, uh, Christopher, who of course mm-hmm. uh, puts that on. That's Chris Hardy speaking of yes. nobody cares about who it. nobody cares about. Yes, uh, <laughs> I said, uh, you know, hey, I, I, we just are launching our vermouths. Do you mind if I bring those? And he goes, absolutely, bring them. And it was great because at some point, I'd want to say probably two hours in, other whiskey tables were telling people. To There's go try some really good vermouth over oh, at that. Oh, that's so cool. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. That's to, you know, awesome. at that Whiskey Social, it's so funny because, like, everybody's there. Everyone's in the same industry. Right. You know, but everyone there is so friendly about it. And just like 100%. you said, they're like, it's hey, not... go try this. Or if, if you like this, go try that. And you hear mm-hmm. that at different booths. Yeah. You know? Well, and it was it was fun, too, to listen to uh, uh, all the people that were there because it, it does become – you know, your palate gets weighed down with all this scotch, yeah. bourbon, Sure, rye. absolutely, absolutely, and yeah. So when you get something like a rum or a tequila or, you know, vermouth, you can wake up your palate again. It's Honestly, like, oh, yeah. okay. I probably drank more rum at the Whiskey Social than I did <laughs> you, whiskey. You hung around by I the rum was, tables. Well, I, I was finding some rum that I really liked, so <laughs> I kind of kept going back. You know, it was, uh, it was that kind of fun. Houston Whiskey Social, for those of you who are in our hometown area, uh, is going to be even earlier uh, this year. It's going to be in February, so it's going to be. Um, I said this year, next year, of course, but uh, but it's going to be. Uh, it's it's something not to be missed. Um, Ian and I have said this repeatedly. We've been to a number of these, you know, mm-hmm. spirit events uh, at different different parts of the country. This one is the best one. Here's really an idea: is. How much would you pay if you went to a whiskey bar that had mm-hmm. great whiskey, and you tried? Oh. 20 whiskeys. Yeah, kind of pretty much whatever you wanted to try. Right. Even the absolute it off the like, wall, half you know? ounce pour or smallest amount that you could get, how much would that cost you? Yeah. You get way more than that Yeah, at $150. Mm-hmm. And it's a big night for Uber. And a swag bag. Yep. Yeah. And, and a swag, swag bag. bag. Yeah. And it's a big night a for Uber. A very nice swag bag, by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, so there's our props for uh, Mr. Christopher Hart and uh, and Alan Denny. Um, man, uh, Michael, it has been a pleasure having been you a lot on of the show. We've, I really appreciate we've it. We've loved the spirits. It's been a great adventure for us, uh, and we would uh, love to invite you back anytime. I'd, I'd be happy to Where, come back. Where's home base for you, by the way? I didn't Austin. Ask. Austin. All right. Yeah. Very good. Well, you're you're not far up the road then, so uh, so let's do this again. Sounds great. I'm going to pour myself just a little tiny bit more of this because I have to. That's so good. I have <laughs> to do this uh, as we go out. But uh, thank you again to uh, Caitlin on the Wheels of Steel. Thank you. Cheers, um, y'all. It's been a fun week. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Thank you. Just a little bit more. Oh, Caitlin, you survived. Absolutely.